Welcome to Sacred Realms. Great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Linda Willoughby, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. For the first time in season 12 of this show, how you doing, Matt? Oh, I'm I'm good. I'm a little out of breath from all of this playing of spirit tracks that we've been doing. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been very taxing on the old lungs, hasn't it? Yeah, I was gonna say, as a as a high school, junior high and high school tuba player, um, I, I have to say my embouchure has it's, really it's gotten out of yeah, yeah it's, it's gotten out of shape. It's yeah. waxed pretty hard. Yeah, um, it's been it's been a while, uh, and yeah, I found myself not necessarily up to this uh, to this task. <laughs> wow, it was really something, huh? Uh, you know, these DS games, they're. They're certainly games, aren't they? They are certainly games, and we're here tonight to talk about the first chapter of this uh, second in the series of DS Zelda games, uh, Spirit Tracks. We previously played Phantom Hourglass. We all know how that went. We're here to see if we have better luck with this one. Uh, Yeah, that went so poorly, it almost ended up in last place, and I still stand by my ranking of putting it in last place. It went poorly. Yeah. Not unlike uh, Nazis who try to pick the Holy Grail in the uh, uh, temple. What what was the temple called? I uh, I think it's just called the Grail Temple. I don't. Uh, oh, really? Oh, that's it's in the kind of disappointing. It's in the Canyon of the Crescent Moon. I yeah, don't think I don't the, remember what the, it's I don't called. think the temple has a name. Well, at least choosing uh, games and game mechanics doesn't turn you into a walking corpse yeah. zombie that then disintegrates into dust. I feel like in Zelda, that temple would have been named like the Temple of Choice or... Yeah, something fun like that. The Temple of the Knights Templar or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that yeah. would have been that would have been better. Yeah, but nope, don't think it has a name. Uh, the real life location of that temple is actually the, uh, the stone city of Petra, which is in Jordan. Yes, I did know that. Which is uh, an incredible cool. feat of human engineering. It's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Oh man, I yeah. So we're we're gonna talk about all this spirit tracks uh, stuff later. We we have not a lot the of, stone temple of Petra or the stone city of Petra. We're not talking about that. No, anymore. but our lack of breath and the reason that we have said lack of breath. We're gonna get into that for sure. Yes, um, it's it's gonna be an interesting first episode. I I think I, my feelings are a little bit more balanced, a little bit more even keel than maybe this this one little snippet at the beginning is representing. They're but, more uh, mixed than they were in Phantom Hourglass. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. So far, anyway. Uh, but uh, just talking about life stuff, Matt. How are you doing? I mean, you've got a wedding coming up yeah. we're not that far super big wedding coming up in 40 ish days from the time of that this releases oh you know it's been uh it's been good uh i'm very tired uh like all of this planning and moving and the bachelorette party the bachelor party like all of this stuff uh my fiance and i are definitely like whoo this is uh it's kind of a lot and uh you know i think we're obviously super excited but we're ready to uh 
kind of move into a more steady phase of life here, hopefully in April. If that, that makes any kind of sense. The good news is we made it through your bachelor party without any casualties of war. Uh, Except everyone, for the detective's vehicle. Yeah, I was going to say, everyone left with all the limbs they came in with. Uh, Mike suffered some misfortune. His his car spent the majority of the weekend in a muddy ditch. So Yeah, that was... <laughs> That was certainly something that happened, and it ha- it was great. It was hilarious. I'm not going to lie. Uh, are we brave enough to post the pictures of the, no. the rescue attempt to Discord? N- nope, we nope. are not. Okay. Because I am right. shirtless in all of them. Well, everyone's just going to have to wonder to themselves <laughs> what that looked like. But you were a hero, damn it. I was. I, yeah. I looked good doing it. I, uh, but that is not fit for public consumption. Uh, probably not. That's that's uh, probably a cooler heads prevail decision. <laughs> on that particular issue, Matt, and I respect you for it. So I made, I made two different mistakes this weekend. Oh no. Or not this weekend. I made two different uh, mistakes tonight, Matt. Oh, what, what was that? So mistake number one is (laughs) I started playing spirit tracks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would classify that as a mistake. Yes. Mistake number two. Um, uh, so Nuggy, uh, yeah, the little guy. guy. Yeah. Uh, he's staying with grandma and grandpa tonight. Uh, because they missed him and they wanted to have a sleepover. Uh, it's nine o'clock at the time of this recording, and I just received word that he's getting chicken and waffles pre-bedtime. That is really not a smart idea. So, uh, yeah, definitely some spoilage going on over there. But it's a grandparent <laughs> issue at this point. At, like at this point, but it becomes a you issue when he comes back. Yeah. Tomorrow. Well, as far as tonight is concerned, on their on their own head, <laughs> be it be the sugar rush and crash. No, but uh, because Nug isn't here, uh, Colleen and I decided to go have a uh, a little a little dinner out of the house. We went to Mikosina. Mikosina's Miko's great. Mikosina's great. Uh, great Mexican uh, Tex-Mex food. You know what Mikosina has, Matt? Mm, I mean, a lot of good things. Brisket tacos being number one, double barrel margaritas, uh, great chips ding, and queso. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, Mikosina bar- has double barrel margaritas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you knew this, but when you have two double barrel margaritas. Man, you feel real good. It becomes a quadruple barrel <laughs> margarita. Is that how that works? Okay, that's sure. how that's how the math works out, and right, I'm ninety sure. percent sure about that. All that is to <laughs> but say, you have had two double barrel margaritas. Oh so yeah, your I'm, math could be even worse than normal. I'm coming into this episode feeling pretty good. <laughs> well, that's probably good for the episode itself. I don't hate it, <laughs> but uh, maybe that'll spin spirit tracks in a more positive. But light. to add even a, even a third mistake on top of these two mistakes I've already enumerated, uh, we're having whiskey, so. I'm going from double barrel margaritas right to wild turkey 101 here. Which Yeah, well, you know, mixing liquors is not generally a good idea for the young folk, and we are not they. We are not they. <laughs> I've done, I've done not, the, not I've the done young the folk anymore. This. Yeah. Uh, people have done the research. The data is in. You're correct. It's not us. We are not the young folk. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how things go through the remainder of this episode. I think it's going to be a fun one, Matt. Yeah, I, it's going to be great. That is for sure. Alrighty. Uh, one extra thing real quick, just before we get into the housekeeping, I have to give a really special shout out to uh, the the musical intro that we got for this week's episode. Oh, it's wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Il Maestro himself, Dark Nook, who came up with uh, the mashup of our dreams to kind of lead us into this season. Crazy Train X uh, Spirit Tracks. Just who would have guessed that those two things could have been jumbled together as successfully as they were? Um, Epic doesn't even begin to cover it. Dark Nook, we really appreciate the effort that you put into this whole thing. Um, 
the results speak for themselves. I mean, yes. Yeah. If you're in the discord, then you saw the video of Matt and I consuming that media for the first time. And you saw just how thrilled we were about it. So <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, pretty awesome and uh, remains pretty awesome. Uh, all in all, fantastic. Uh, there are two other people we need to give shout outs to. The two people without whom this season of podcast may not be happening at all. Uh, Rebenak and Dylan, who are part of our community. Thank you both so much for offering up uh, for loan your copies of Spirit Tracks so that Lyndon and I didn't have to pay $75 plus shipping and handling to get bootleg copies from China or pay over $100 for scalpers on eBay. So thank you to both of you for uh, all of that. Without you, we may not be here discussing this. So uh, claps around for them. Absolutely 100% cosign. Um, the process of tracking down three copies of this game to play with two going to Matt and I and then one going to the detective uh, was a monumental effort. Um, I feel like I have to give an honorable mention to the faceless corporate overlords at GameStop who provided our third copy. <laughs> They'll never know, and I don't I don't care how they feel or not. Even though it was still on full price for a game, it was $60. Yeah, and like... And loose, loose in an unmarked case, mind you. Like, yeah. we're not talking about, like, a boxed copy or anything. No, this like, is just, like, a resold. It, I don't yeah. know. Nintendo, fix your game economy. Like, this is ridiculous. And it's so weird because especially jumping into, into Spirit Tracks this week, I'm kind of, I can't escape the feeling that if Nintendo wanted to make a quick buck off this whole thing, man, just port it to mobile or something. Yeah. Like, oh, mobile is a great idea, honestly. I still don't think it would be phenomenally fun to play but like it would you know more accessible you could give it a graphics up res and the mechanics of it would probably work just fine like touch screen input and all that it it can't be like i don't think it would be any less precise than it is now so (laughs) i mean it's fair yeah uh and and i don't think that these are games of a sufficient caliber for nintendo to consider doing an actual remaster treatment right I mean, well also they kind of went away thank god from the super heavy emphasis on touch controls like i don't think that the switch would have uh has precise enough touch controls for this to really work like you don't do a lot of drawing on the switch or well anything. there would have to be some kind of I, actually i think that this game might even have to employ a more complicated solve uh than skyward sword hd did right because mm. Without the whole situation of making markings on your map and whatnot, a lot of the identity of this game is lost, you know, without being able to use touch controls for items and stuff like that. I I would say that that's one of the big hooks and one of the main things that distinguishes these two games, you know? Um, Yeah. So you can't lose that entirely because at that point, what do you have? You just have a mediocre top-down Zelda game, right? (laughs) Very mediocre, at Um, least for Phantom Hourglass. Right. Um, Even with a graphical upgrade, right? Yeah. But, you know, if you could kind of... In some perfect world, there's a situation where movement and combat and all of those things get put on sticks and buttons, right? But the touch screen is still like the the capacitive multi-touch screen on the Switch is still able to be used for markings on maps and item control or whatever. Like, I don't know how you decide what gets (laughs) what gets uh, switched over to sticks and buttons and what doesn't. No idea. We're probably never going to know because I think, uh, again, I think the odds of these games ever getting that sort of treatment are about zero. 
Like Oh, abs- absolutely. And look, there are many better games that should receive that treatment well before they yeah. even, you know, plung the depths of uh yeah. Phantom Hourglass. Well, and I, I you know, I think the thing that the the real nail in the coffin and honestly probably the biggest reason that none of these games are ever going to get touched again, um in addition to an entire library of excellent games, uh is the fact that the dual screen of it all yeah. is just hard to get around. Yeah. Like, I just don't know. And that makes me sad because there are a lot of games that I think are tr- are, are excellent from the 3DS and DS era, right? And then you talk about how, how, do, we, how do we port those games? How do we um, preserve them? How do we make them available easily to a new generation? And if you don't have a system with two screens, I just don't know how it works, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And look, I mean, the dual screen aspect of it, um, and we'll get into this later, but like, and this was something we raved about in Phantom Hourglass, the dual screen mechanics for boss fights specifically in uh, Phantom Hourglass and in this first dungeon is probably the best part of the whole game. Like, it just works really well, and it's executed pretty much perfectly, Um and it's like honestly the smoothest feeling part of the entire game. Yeah. So, you know, losing that would be truly a shame. Yeah. Nope. I, I completely agree. It's it's tough, right? Because the story of Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks is one of conflicting emotions and feelings, right? For sure. It's, it's, it's really difficult to, re- to, to get in and dig into. But we're going to attempt to do that on the show this week. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the housekeeping and then launch into our discussion of our first steps into this new adventure. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. I I also have to take this opportunity to make a quick apology. Uh, If my voice doesn't sound quite the same as it does most other weeks that we record, I'm really sorry. Um, I feel the seasonal ick coming on. You sound wonderful, Lyndon. Do I? the, The timber of your voice sounds unchanged. To mine I'm feeling a little a, a little nasally. Um, I feel yeah, like I have something coming on. I feel like uh, you know what I feel like, Matt. Uh, what do you feel like, Lyndon? Feel like Lincoln Park. It's crawling in oh, my skin. I was like, I'm thinking numb, and that doesn't exactly work here. My nose, I cannot <laughs> breathe. Okay, well, impromptu <laughs> lyrics aside, crawling in my skin definitely worked. Uh, I was going more along the numb track, and I was like, you haven't even touched your whiskey yet, so I hope you're not feeling numb at this no, point in time. No, 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 but I understand, <laughs> maybe I later. understand why that's where you went first, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, uh, Hybrid Theory, not not mm-hmm. Meteora. Oh, hybrid Theory was such a great album. Going for though. the back. You know, I have that on vinyl, and I need to spin it sometime. You should like, sometime. That is a great album. Honestly, the first three Linkin Park albums are some of the best early 2000s uh, pop rock punk that like was ever put out you know so what I, good you know what i want to do sometime i want to go back and revisit so uh after minutes to midnight they had this weird concept album uh, yeah i've listened to it a few times there are a couple good songs that i, I do enjoy on yeah there. yeah okay mm-hmm. i i want to go back and give it an honest shot because i don't think i've listened to it since 20 20- 11 or something yeah you know i think honestly the first three albums are really where where it hits um 
Minutes to Midnight less so than Meteora or Hybrid Theory, but uh, Minutes yeah. to Midnight still has some good ones. Though. Minutes to Midnight was uh, Project Revolution phase, though, so that's yeah, when, that's, that's when good. they were catching their their big, massive yeah. event, sort oh, of huge stadium man, tours. I things. remember that. That was so cool. That I never got great. to see him in concert, unfortunately. I if I could go back and do it, do it again, like high school, middle school, etc. I would totally. I saw make them every effort to go see them. I saw them twice, and it was amazing. I will always regret us not going up to Oklahoma City for that one show where it was Lincoln Park with Coheed and Cambria opening. Why did we not do that? We should have done that. I was in high school oh. and you were you were like in eighth grade and it was three hours away. It's just yeah, you know, mom and dad weren't comfortable with you driving just the two of it us. It was gonna to be Oklahoma it was City gonna be a May. hard sell, but man. That would have been a great concert. Ugh. Ugh. All right. Well nah, fair enough. Anyway, enough. Now I'm sad. <laughs> no, that was kind of <laughs> man. All right. Well, let's let's be less sad. And uh, you know how we can be less sad, Lyndon. Whiskey bit. Whiskey bit makes us less sad. So uh, the whiskey bit selection for tonight, I kind of uh, I, I already divulged the spirit that we're enjoying this evening. Um, but it is Wild Turkey 101, and it is the the leftover spoils of your bachelor party weekend. Uh, this of is which there were relatively few leftover spoils. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I feel like most of the supplies that entered uh, at <laughs> the consumed. beginning of the weekend did not make it out on the other side, <laughs> which is how uh, it should be. Which is how it should be. But uh, Wild Turkey 101, look. If you want a $25 to $30 whiskey that's great for mixing, great for whiskey cokes, uh, but also not a bad sipper, then Wild Turkey 101 is a great way to go. 101 proof, as the name would suggest. This is actually the rye. Yeah, the rye is also very good. I love the rye for Manhattans and Old Fashions. And that's exactly why I bought this. Um, I, whenever I'm making, especially a Manhattan these days, I'm always on the rye train. I, mm. I feel I feel that the spice of the rye really balances out the sweetness of the vermouth. And, or the simple syrup if you're an old-fashioned person like right. myself. Yeah, it kind of helps cut those things. So, uh, yeah, we've had Wild Turkey on the show before. This is definitely one of their lower shelf offerings, but uh, don't let that fool you. It's definitely definitely worth your time, and I don't consider it a waste of money by any stretch. Of the Honestly, I would prefer wild a lot of Wild Turkey offerings over some of those more expensive $80-plus-dollar bourbons. Like, man, you can't really go wrong with a, with a good Wild Turkey offering. Yeah, well, I mean, especially like your barrel bourbons, you know, I mean, $90. They're just like dickle. 50, 50%, they're spectacular. 50% of the time, they're absolute weird, yeah, funky, just, like, I don't know if I like that, but I spent $80 on it, so I guess I'm going to drink it. I like, was going to say garbage, but I guess one, a little man's, strong. one man's trash, another man's treasure. Some of them are just not my cup of tea. But I, I would agree with that entirely. Anyway, uh, Wild Turkey 101 is my cup of tea. I agree. Cheers, Wild Turkey 101. <laughs> Here's to blowing in a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, still good. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. All right, y'all. Additionally, one of the benefits that Master Sword patrons... Oh, we're still in the housekeeping. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fine. I mean, we can... The housekeeping is like jazz, you know? We can switch things <laughs> oh, up. Oh, yeah, we just know, freestyle it. Move things around. Kind of yeah. feel it, feel it through. I exactly. like it. Good enough. All right. One of the benefits that Master Sword patrons and above get is that we read their names every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Brandon Shryquill, Joseph Nintendo, Adam Sakura, Sky, Art, Jeremy, Dante, Two, Tom, Andy, Billy, Connor, Rachel, Shepherd Street, Matthew, Chris, Daniel, Fallout Nine O Seven, Kelso, Chris, Tiffany, The Star, Patrice, Stephanie, Darknuck, Il Maestro himself. 
who has a new cover out on Spotify as of yesterday. Uh, he's covered the Colgara theme, uh, the boss music from Tears of the Kingdom. It's fantastic. Go check it out. Uh, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Lennon, Kolku, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Dante, One, Gep, Brittany, Davey, Haru, The Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Ben, Andy, Cameron, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Hyrule Interviews, a.k.a. Maximum Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. These are the most legendary of individuals, and I would put any of them in a position to vote on what game I play next (laughs) several times per year, which we've done this time and which has led us to this situation that we're currently in. Look, I I was about to say, I don't know if I would because they voted us here. Well, we did, and here we we are. I don't know if we regret that decision or not. Look, at the end of the day, we always knew we were going to have to do it. We always dreaded it. It's finally here. We're just, we're, we're going to power through. Did you just get ash on my cutter? I was moving it towards the ashtray and it just flopped right off <sighs> midway between. It's an act of nature. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. <laughs> there are physics involved. There was windage. You know, okay. I don't think you're, <laughs> all right. I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> probably for the best but without further ado let's talk about what we played we do that every week in the sacred realms rundown which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel today we are covering spirit tracks chapter one part one of the sacred realms rundown is as always the plot recap this week read by matt take it away matt This is a tale from long ago. It's the tale of the first settlers of this land. In the beginning, the people followed the spirits of good and all was peaceful. But that era of peace soon came to an end. The evil demon king rose to power, destroying everything in his path. The spirits of good had no choice but to face him in battle. The war that ensued seemed to last an eternity and much blood was shed. Finally, the spirits subdued the demon king, though they could not destroy him as their powers were greatly depleted. With their remaining power, they buried the demon king's spirit in the ground. They built shackles to imprison him and a tower that acted as a lock. These shackles cover the land to this day. With their powers drained, the spirits of good returned to the heavens. Suddenly bereft of both demons and spirits, this land was left to us. As the old man finishes his tale and accompanying slideshow, he peeks out from around the easel to check in on us, his captive audience. Even though the story is interesting, it's one we've heard many times, and it put us to sleep fairly quickly, despite our begrudging affection for the old man telling it. As Nico sees our sleeping form, he chastises us for falling asleep during his dramatic retelling. As we're still shaking off the heavy nap, our mentor, Alfonso, comes strolling into the house to see us. Apparently, the chastising is set to continue, as Alfonso is confused why we're still hanging around the house on this extremely important day. We're supposed to have our ceremonial audience with the princess today, so we can receive our train operator's license. Honestly, the fact that that was supposed to be today had totally slipped our mind, but Alfonso is right, and we really need to get our act together so we can finally graduate and get to the business of choo-chooing our way around the spirit tracks of New Hyrule. We decide to follow Alfonso out the door to the local train station so we can get going to the castle. The village of Aboda has been our home for as long as we can remember, and the path to the train station is well-worn into our memory, and we say hi to a few of our neighbors on the way there. 
Once at the station, Alfonso insists we take the conductor's chair for our final trip as an apprentice engineer, and we set off to the castle. Along the way, we have to dodge some other trains and scare some animals off the tracks, but other than that, it's truly an uneventful journey, and we complete it in less than 200 seconds. Castle Town and Hyrule Castle sit virtually in the shadow of the Tower of Spirits, and the town is bustling somewhat less than we would expect from the capital of the kingdom. A few folks are hanging out around town, and the helpful postman has a letter for us, but for the most part, the path to the castle is open, and we head straight there. A few guards question us, but once we tell them the reason we're there, they show us the way to the throne room so we can meet the princess. On the way, we run into the thoroughly unpleasant Chancellor Cole, who has some strong words about what a waste of time all of this is, and disparaging our youth. As we enter the throne room, we immediately notice the regal throne and the impressive stained glass adorning the walls behind it. The central stained glass shows the likeness of an ancient princess from before the founding of the Kingdom of Hyrule. As we kneel in place, awaiting the princess, we hear her soft footsteps and see the hem of her robe enter the edges of our vision. We can't stop ourselves from looking up, and we are immediately in awe of the captivating beauty of the princess standing before us. Despite Cole's caw of disapproval at our impertinence, Princess Zelda continues the ceremony. Even when the Chancellor rudely interrupts Zelda in mid-sentence, she insists on completing the ceremony, and she eventually hands us the royal certificate we came for. After handing us the certificate, Zelda surreptitiously hands us another letter and asks us to read it later, and concerningly, to be aware of the Chancellor. With the ceremony over, the Chancellor basically kicks us out with a haughty and cruel quip about our new certificate not mattering much, as the trains won't be of much use to anyone soon. With those unsettling and mysterious words, the Chancellor smiles a hideous smile and leaves us alone in the throne room. With the room empty except for some sleepy-looking guards, we take out Zelda's letter and give it a quick read. She asks us to come to her chambers in person via a secret entrance on the side of the castle and to make sure that no one sees us when we do. With our curiosity piqued, we head to the side of the castle and stealthily make our way to the princess's rooms. We find her playing an odd-looking but beautiful-sounding reed flute in her comfortable quarters. She turns to us and asks us to do her a favor as the only person she can trust right now. Seeing as we just met like five minutes ago, this strikes us as very odd, but we can't refuse the princess. So we listen as she asks that we help her escape the castle unnoticed and take her to the Tower of Spirits so that she can investigate the disappearance of the spirit tracks. She hopes that the sage who guards the spirit tower will be able to shed light on how and why the spirit tracks are disappearing, and from there, hopefully, we can fix whatever the issue is. We eagerly agree to help, not only because the princess is asking, but because the spirit tracks are our very livelihood, and their disappearance could spell disaster for the kingdom at large. To assist with our escape, Zelda gives us a guard recruit's uniform so that if any guard should spot us on our way out of the grounds, they would hopefully think nothing of it. With the slightly uncomfortable guard uniform on, we head out the door and towards the castle entrance. It isn't terribly hard to get past the guards. Most of them are sleepy laggards who are only halfway paying attention to what they're doing. A couple need to be distracted while Zelda sneaks by, and the recruit uniform comes in handy for this task. 
Eventually, we win free of the castle grounds and make our way to the train station. But getting on our little train isn't as easy as that. Alfonso steps out of the shadows of the station and accosts us for taking Zelda out of the castle. The princess quickly comes to our defense and even asks Alfonso to join us as we head to the Tower of Spirits. Apparently, our mentor used to be the captain of the guard and the best swordsman in all of Hyrule. Eventually, he agrees, and we all climb aboard the small train from Aboda to head to the Tower of Spirits. Along the way to the tower, the sky darkens overhead and thunder begins to rumble across the clouds. Out of nowhere, the tracks beneath the train completely disappear, causing the train to land hard on the ground below and lose control, crashing on its side and throwing all three of us out into the empty field. As we regain our bearings, Alfonso calls our attention to the tower in the distance, where we can see a vortex of dark energy forming in the sky above. The lightning surges and tendrils of energy surround the tower. With a flash of electricity and a thunderous explosion, the tower is torn asunder, and the pieces of the once proud edifice are hoisted into the sky on the winds of the malevolent force that now encircles the Tower of Spirits. As the horror begins to sink in, a massive black cloud emanates from the vortex above the shattered tower and spits out a huge metal train of gleaming chrome surrounded by a ghostly cloud. The train is flying through the air right at us, and the head of the train is engraved with a face that is frozen in a grimace of rage and hate. We duck as the evil locomotive flies overhead, and the darkness deepens all around us. Just as we are recovering from this latest shock, a familiar voice comes to our ears from nearby. We turn to see Chancellor Cole strolling across the field, chastising Princess Zelda in a mocking tone about being out of the castle. As we turn to face him, he shrieks in rage and is temporarily shrouded by black clouds as he bellows about really being the one in charge around here. When the clouds clear, his two top hats have flown off into the distance to reveal a pair of devilish horns sticking out of his red hair. While he calms down and proclaims how exhausting it is to pretend to be human, a henchman with a mechanical arm walks up from the distance to stand menacingly beside the Chancellor. As Cole monologues about his evil plan, he reveals that whatever the plan is to remove the spirit tracks is almost complete, and that the last missing piece has to do with some form of help from the princess herself unclear on exactly what that is, but with the obvious undertones of sinister intent, Alfonso decides to step in and teach these two a lesson in manners. Cole calls his henchman, Burn, to handle the situation, and we all step back to watch these two warriors duel it out. Burn immediately steps up and disparages Alfonso for being fully human, further indicating that there's something more going on here than what is on the surface. Alfonso moves in with the practiced grace and power of an expert swordsman, but the mechanical arm moves just as fast to block and parry his blows. After only a short bout, Byrne disarms Alfonso and then tosses him several yards into the air and over the ground, leaving him an unconscious heap. With Alfonso defeated, Byrne moves in towards the princess, but at her call for help, we spring in front of her, doing anything we can to delay the inevitable. It does no good, and we end up being tossed like a sack of potatoes, landing with a hard crash. As we fight off the encroaching darkness, we see the princess get zapped by some dark magic from the hands of Cole, and her body goes limp. 
As unconsciousness overwhelms us, we see Byrne carrying the princess's body towards the distant woods. We awaken in a soft bed with daylight filtering through a nearby window. We hear the labored breathing of Alfonso next to us as we rise from the bed, and the old teacher that was hanging around Hyrule Castle welcomes us back to the waking world. As we start to get our bearings, we have to tell the teacher and the guards what has happened, as apparently no one is any the wiser about what happened to the spirit tracks, to the princess, or about Cole's treachery. On the whole, it seems like no one is willing to believe the horrible tale of woe that we have to spread, but we have no choice but to try to find allies while Alfonso recovers. Eventually, we find ourselves in the main hall of the castle and see the ghostly form of the princess, trying desperately to get the attention of one of the guards. It seems that the guard cannot hear or see her, and honestly, we're left to wonder if that blow to the head has left us more woozy than we originally thought. Determined to find out the truth of our own sanity, we follow the apparition into Zelda's quarters and find what appears to be Zelda's ghost waiting for us there. She seems surprised that we can see and hear her, but is grateful that at last someone can interact with her. She expresses regret about Alfonso's injuries and surprise at the reveal of Cole's treachery, but the primary thing we both need to focus on now is the restoration of the spirit tracks and the Tower of Spirits. To that end, Zelda tells us about a secret tunnel within the castle grounds that leads to the Tower of Spirits. She asks us to find this tunnel and get to the tower as quickly as possible so that we can consult with the sage there to find out what is going on. Before we leave her quarters to begin our search, she shows us the odd reed flute that she was playing the first time we came into these quarters. She calls, us, she calls it the spirit flute and tells us that it is a prized family heirloom that has been handed down within the royal family for generations. Zelda is convinced of the flute's power to protect her and asks that we carry it on her behalf as long as she remains in this spirit form. We agree and leave the royal chambers to find the tunnel to the tower. We ask around the castle about the tunnel, and one of the guards tells us that it's at the far back of the castle, only accessible by a door that is currently under heavy guard. The guard is heavy at this particular door because the area beyond has become infested with monsters. So if we want to go that direction, we need to have a sword with us. To that end, we go to the captain of the guard, and after showing off our proficiency with a blade, borrow a recruit's sword for our adventure. We decide to grab a shield from the shop in town as well, and then head to find the tunnel. In the courtyard behind the castle, we rescue a beleaguered guard from a, from a group of pesky spinuts. This guard tells us that the entrance to the tunnel was sealed off by a rock fall during the recent earthquake, but he points to the general direction of where he thinks the entrance might have been. We grab a handy bomb flower from nearby and start blasting away at the wall until we reveal the hidden entrance. The tunnel is full of annoying pests like spinous and keese, as well as a few puzzles and locked doors, but all in all, the journey through the tunnel isn't terribly difficult, and we soon find ourselves back in Hyrule Field, near the Broken Tower. Up close, the tower is even more impressive and alarming. The segments of Broken Tower are floating in the air, seemingly of their own accord, spinning wildly in the air as they float. We run to the grand entrance of the tower and enter it to find an ornate golden floor and a huge circular room with a staircase leading further up on the far side. In the middle of the room is a stone carving of a beautiful train, and puttering along near the sculpture is an old woman. As the woman approaches, she tells us that the carving is the spirit's train, which was entrusted to her keeping when the spirits departed this land. 
The old woman is looking directly at and speaking to Zelda, which can only mean that she can see the ghostly princess. She introduces herself as Anne Jean, and while the fact that she can see Zelda is shocking, it is by far less shocking than the fact that she appears to be half-woman and half-train. She has a bit of banter with Zelda, eventually revealing that she knew the original ancestor of the royal family that landed here over a century ago, and was even close friends with her. But there are more pressing matters at hand, and Anjean needs us to get moving on fixing what has happened to the tower and to the tracks. She tells us that the tower's purpose is to be a focal point for the energy that flows from the four temples, through the spirit tracks, to this place. This tower is the key to keeping the demon king, Maladus, imprisoned. The old tales are true, if incomplete, and if the tracks and the tower are not restored, Maladus could rise again to torment the world. But in order to do that, he needs one more thing, the body of someone from the royal line of ancient Hyrule. Cole means to use Zelda's body as the vessel for Maladus's return. This is understandably incredibly upsetting to Zelda, as she immediately loses her cool entirely, shouting and ranting about how we need to get a move on as quickly as possible to stop this scheme and rescue her body. In the middle of her rant, she swoops down and gets all up in our personal space, assigning this grand adventure and responsibility to us, and claiming that she's going to stay back and watch, as it's kind of a family tradition for the princess to sit back from afar. Honestly, that sounds like a load of garbage, but before we can interject, Anjean tells Zelda that it would be impossible for us to climb the tower alone. And seeing as Anjean herself is the only thing currently keeping the seal on Maladus active, Zelda has to be the one to accompany us. The plan is simple, if not easy. Climb the tower and claim a rail map, which will restore a section of the spirit tracks leading to the temple. Then, head to the temple and restore its power to reconnect it to the Tower of Spirits and strengthen the seal on the Demon King. With Zelda in tow, we make our way to the staircase and climb to the next level to find this rail map. As soon as we enter the door leading to the chamber, a truly enormous pile of armor appears out of nowhere to block our path. It wields a massive sword and a stone shield and charges us at once. We turn tail and run back to Anjean for an explanation. She tells us that the tower is guarded by phantoms, and that we have to sneak around the tower without being spotted until we can collect three tiers of light. With three tiers of light, our sword will be empowered enough to stun a phantom by hitting it in the back. With a plan in mind, we head back to find the tiers and stop the phantom. It doesn't take long at all to get the three tiers, and sneak up on the hulking pile of armor is easy enough. We hit the phantom in the back and turn around to find the way forward, only to be immediately confronted by the phantom, fully aware and not stunned in the least. With nowhere to hide and too close to the monster to run away, we try in vain to scramble back as Zelda shouts an alarm. She flies towards us in a vain attempt to help, but when she passes through the phantom's armor, she ends up possessing the creature. She's able to stop the swinging sword just in time. And even though it's an uncomfortable situation to find herself in, the advantage of possessing an invulnerable suit of armor with a huge sword are undeniable. With Zelda's help, we open the massive door leading further into the tower and move on. 
The rest of the tower is much like the rooms we just came from, with a phantom patrolling and some traps designed to stop intruders. With Phantom Zelda's help, we're able to bypass the traps, and she even distracts the phantom for us so that we can proceed to the rail map room. As soon as we enter the room containing the rail map, the suit of armor that Zelda is in collapses, inert. Zelda is glad to be free of it, but we do have some regrets about losing all that power that comes with the phantom armor. But nothing to do about it now, so we grab the rail map and head back to talk to Angine about our next step. She tells us that the tracks between the tower and the forest sanctuary, as well as the surrounding area, have been restored. However, the track that leads the rest of the way to the forest temple is still missing, and can only be restored by the guardian of the temple, another locomo named Gage. The locomos are beings entrusted by the ancient spirits with the protection of the temples and the spirit tracks and they have inhabited this land since long before we humans arrived here a century ago. The Locomos help maintain the energy of the tracks by playing their sacred instruments, including the spirit flute that Angine herself gifted to Zelda's ancestors over a century ago. It is our next task to locate Gage and play the spirit flute with him and his sacred instrument in order to empower the tracks leading the rest of the way to the forest temple. In order to get there, we need a mode of transportation, so Angine decides to animate the spirit train for us and set it on the tracks for us to use. At last, we're back on the tracks and headed to the forest sanctuary, but we make a quick stop in the nearby town of Whittleton, check for any local news that may be of use as we approach the unknown forest. In town, we learn about the section of woods leading up to the sanctuary, and that the locals call it the Lost Woods, and the path that leads through this section of forest changes constantly. With some help from the locals, we are able to suss out the trick to navigating the area and head straight to the sanctuary. Once we arrive in the forest sanctuary, we have to make our way past a few puzzles before we find Gage in a peaceful, secluded grove. Gage is a more casual locomo than Angine, but when Zelda tells him why we are there, he's more than happy to help. He teaches us the duet that we need to play with him in order to restore the tracks to the temple, and he takes some time to practice with us as well. The duet isn't too hard, just three notes played in rhythm, so we complete the short concert quickly. Once we do, the forest rail map begins to glow with an otherworldly light, and we know that the path to the forest temple has been restored. With a word of warning on the danger of the temple from Gage, we leave the forest sanctuary and board the train once again, setting our sights north to the temple. The path is indeed dangerous, strewn with monstrous spiders, but we come to the temple in short order and begin our explorations. The temple sits in front of a tree that is as large as Hyrule Castle, and the inside is dark and ancient. The area is filled not only with monsters, but also poisonous gas that blocks our path through much of the temple. The area is obviously designed to make it difficult for intruders to progress, as many of the pathways are trapped or blocked by puzzles. Hitting switches and defeating groups of enemies seems to be the key to opening up further pathways, and soon we find ourselves on the second floor of the temple. We fight a small group of bugs that explode into poisonous gas when killed and are rewarded with the Whirlwind device, which amplifies air into a swirling vortex. 
This, devo- this device comes in handy to dispel clouds of gas, as well as activate small windmills around the temple. Back on the first floor, we use the whirlwind to blow a key from an unreachable pedestal to the ground nearby so that we can open the path further in. The new path leads to another ambush of enemies. These ones are skulls surrounded by the toxic gas that is on the ground elsewhere. We have to use the whirlwind to stun them before we can finish them off and move on to the next floor. After obtaining another key, we walk towards the central stair leading to the third floor. But before we can ascend further, we are attacked by a huge flying mothula. This pesky monster flies around the room out of reach, stopping every once in a while to shoot a poison-cloaked skull at us from across the room. We have to use the whirlwind to shoot the skull back at the monster in order to stun it, before we can get in close with the sword. After a few volleys of skulls and hits from our blade, the monster falls, and the path to the next floor opens. On the third floor of the temple, we find a large key that looks like it should fit into a huge lock, but it's behind a closed door that we see no way of opening. As we look around for the means to open the door, we see the lock the key is meant for, blocking the path to the roof. We continue our exploration by using exploding slugs to blast some crumbling rocks out of the way and to hit a switch hiding across a large chasm. The gate guarding the big key opens and we go to claim it. Once we do, we see a map detailing a very specific route that we have to take with the key in order to avoid an unknown danger. So we take heed of this warning and follow the path exactly. Once we reach the large block, we insert the key and open the path to the roof and whatever monstrous presence is keeping the temple's power at bay. On the roof, we find ourselves at the top of the great tree with the canopy open to the sky above. As we're looking around for what needs to be done, we hear a massive buzzing, like that of a thousand insects flying in a swarm. We look up to see a colossal beetle, the size of a train, fly over the canopy and make its way to the roof of the temple. The giant Stagnox beetle is the evil that is keeping this temple's power from reconnecting to the Tower of Spirits, so it is our job to destroy it. It starts off slowly, trying to ram us with its enormous horned head, while keeping its soft thorax behind it. We dodge around the charging head and make to strike at its back, only to be blocked by a wall of toxic fumes. We use the whirlwind to dispel the gas and move in to strike with our sword. The beast recovers, but returns to its same trick as before, so we make quick work of it again. After sustaining some damage, the beetle takes to the sky once more, electing to spawn some explosive larvae onto the field before taking a diving charge at us. We avoid the charge and the larvae, but don't get any opportunity to hammer away at our foe. The next time Stalnox charges, we decide to toss one of the exploding slugs at it, and to our joy, watch as the beetle falls out of the sky, stunned. We slash away at the thorax once more until the creature takes to the sky again. We take up position with the whirlwind and blow the beetle out of the air before moving in to deal the final blow with our sword. Stalnox writhes on the roof of the temple before exploding in glorious fashion. With the creature dead, the forest gem of the forest temple returns, and the symbol of the forest engraved in the floor begins glow brightly. A pedestal rises out of the center of the floor, and the green triangular gem comes to rest upon it, releasing a blindingly bright flash of light. The light rushes through the forest and down the spirit tracks all the way to the tower. 
Even from here, we can feel its power, and we can see off in the distance that one of the floating sections of the tower has been returned to its normal place, restoring one piece of the broken seal holding back Maladus. With the forest tracks restored, we grab the heart container from the chest in front of us and make our way to the temple's entrance. The journey to get our engineer's license has turned into far more than we ever thought possible, but there's nothing to do but move forward. We have only restored a portion of the tracks and the tower, and if we don't restore the rest, the whole kingdom will be in jeopardy. The course of what is now our quest is set, as if on rails, back to the tower where we must find another rail map and thence to another temple. We can only hope that we can restore the magic of the temples and the tracks before the demon king can rise again and return our ghostly princess to her body once more. Well done, as always, Matt. That brings us to part two, which is our takes, where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. Uh, let's go ahead and start with some background information on the Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. Timeline discussion first. Uh, so this game is the immediate sequel. I, I shouldn't say immediate. It's a direct sequel taking place uh, chronologically about 100 years after Phantom Hourglass. Um, it is at the furthest end of the down or not the downfall of the adult timeline that we've been so far. So this is the final game in the series of games that follow the flooding of Hyrule after Adult Link disappears uh, from that version of Hyrule at the end of Ocarina of Time. Yes, so uh, Adult Link uh, fights Ganon slash Ganondorf, uh, defeats him, does not die, because that's the downfall timeline, and uh, promptly uh, absconds from reality back to his original timeline, leaving uh, the kingdom of Hyrule decimated, overrun with baddies, and uh, but at least they have Princess Zelda back, um, and the king of evil has been vanquished, so... Uh, it is presumed and kind of hinted at that the baddies kind of run amok, uh, overrun everything, and the people cry out to the gods who, for some reason, decide that the only solution is flooding them. I guess they went and talked to the water dragon from Skyward Sword. Yeah, they definitely, to make that they definitely Skyped into the water dragon. They said, hey, what do we do about bad guys? And the water dragon just said, obviously, you flood everything because that's what you're supposed to do. And they said, sounds good to me. So they did it. Um, and this is uh, part eight of the Sacred Realms rundown. <laughs> also water Water dragon is bad at her job. <laughs> <laughs> Perpetually and forever. Forever. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we uh, apparently flooded all of Hyrule. Then we get The Wind Waker, which was an amazing game. So good. Uh, then we get Phantom Hourglass after that, which was less good. Uh, and then here we are in Spirit Tracks about 100 years later, following presumably the descendants of uh, Tetra and Link and the pirate crew who, I guess, found this uh, charming little group of islands mm -hmm. also maybe, further away. Maybe Linebeck? Unclear. Unclear. Um, so, yeah, here we are in a new land. I don't actually know what it's called. I, I believe it's... So, in the game, it's referred to just as Hyrule. Uh, I think, canonically, its name is New Hyrule. Cool. So, we're in New Hyrule, which is a land that the... Uh, crew from phantom hourglass slash wind waker uh landed upon about a century ago and has now populated new hyrule with uh hylians uh and there are some native folks here called locomos mm -hmm. who we learn about and we'll talk a little bit about later but the main thing about new hyrule is that it is uh crisscrossed with train tracks called spirit tracks and at the center of these spirit tracks is the big old tower called spirit tower mm -hmm. which serves as the key 
to imprisoning the Demon King. Dun, dun, dun. Not Ganon. Yeah. So we're going to get into that in just a second. I, I want to come back around to that. Just a little bit more background information. This game came out in 2009, which puts it at the very, very tail end of the Nintendo DS life cycle. At this point... Uh, I'm not sure when the Nintendo 3DS was announced. I believe it came out in 2011, but uh, really we're at the very tail end of a console's life cycle here, um, which is interesting to me because I, I feel like for a game that was uh, removed from its predecessor as much as this one was and one at the very end of the console's lifespan um, – you really do expect to see a bit more of a graphical bump here, you know, mm-hmm. um, just a little bit more polish. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily uh, on display here all that much, but uh, just just an interesting little tidbit. Um, Spirit Tracks, uh, I actually forget about this, but it did it did come out while I was in college. And I think this was the very last Zelda game that came out before I got back on the train no pun intended, <laughs> and 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 started following Zelda games um, at the time of their release, like following the hype cycle, the trailers, the E3 reveals, all of that, and then picking the games up day one. Um, this was the last one that I did not do that for. Spirit or uh, uh, Skyward Sword came next, and that marked the return of the whole, you know, me being very involved in the the news cycle and whatnot of Zelda releases. So yeah. Um, okay, let's go ahead and talk about the story, the backstory as it's presented to us in Spirit Tracks. So we get um, we get an introductory cutscene, much like we did with Phantom Hourglass, much like we do in many Zelda games, which explains the backstory of New Hyrule. And like you said, Matt, the story that we're given is that long ago in this land, we have the good spirits from the sky, right? Because everything mm-hmm. comes from the sky. Uh, the good spirits do battle with the demon king, seal the demon king under the earth. Uh, the shackles of the demon king crisscross the land in the form of spirit tracks uh, using the spirit tower as kind of a linchpin that keeps him sealed. Yes. Beneath the uh, ground. And again, not Ganon. We learn later in this section that it's... Uh, name is maladus i think it's so interesting that they still choose to use the term demon king right that was that really threw me for a loop like this whole intro kind of threw me for a loop because you could totally just go full imprisoning war on this whole story for for a second i really thought that we were starting with okay now we're recapping wind waker again and we'll probably say something about phantom hourglass but they don't they don't do Do that at all there's no reference in this early cutscene to either phantom hourglass or wind waker yeah not even to that link or tetra or anything it's just like it's almost as if none of that happened and we're just in new hyrule and this is the setting and we're not going to acknowledge anything else and like that's not necessarily a bad thing like you know we're in a new we're in a new place we're Mm -hmm. telling a new story so i I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily but it was kind of weird until i figured out that we were like oh we're a hundred years removed yeah like yeah i do think it's awesome that the first direct callback we get to those two games comes in the form of the character who's telling us this story yeah nico Nico! dude's gotta be really old nico is looking good um <laughs> for over a hundred i think it's really f- i i want to dig more into the di- the dynamics of this link like 12 13 year old this link being roommates with a 100 and something year old dude i don't know that i want to dig into those dynamics too terribly <laughs> much if we're gonna be honest it was just so funny though i mean like also the character design of old nico hey Lyndon, what? the boy 
<laughs> Wesley Crusher, young Wesley, my son. son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I think the character design of old Nico is so funny to the point where I was like, I, I was kind of looking at this character when he popped on the screen after the cinematic, and I was like, is that? And then I saw the picture hanging on the wall behind him, and I was like, like oh, it's Nico. Nico, yay, yeah, cool. Yeah. So that's fun. That's a fun little bit of connective tissue between the two uh, things. Then I was confused when Alfonso shows up, and he's the exact same character design as one of the other pirates on Tetra's ship, but he's not the same guy. Yeah. I was like, what is it, going on it here? Was, it was a little strange. I, I feel like headcanon, you can just chalk that up to like, oh, that pirate, of course, had a family, and this is one of his descendants. Who looks literally the same, even the same tattoo in the same spot. Well, you know, sure. if, if it ain't broke, it's, <laughs> let's reuse some assets here. Is yeah, that well, that's just efficiency. Okay, that's fair enough. That is. Um, no, so I, I think it's funny because uh, now we have a situation where we've got Nico presenting us with the backstory of both of the DS Zelda games, right? Yeah. Nico, Nico handled the introductory cutscene, the um, the construction paper dioramas of Phantom Hourglass, right? Um, and is now taking care of the equivalent situation in Spirit Tracks. It's cool. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah, you know? it does. His um his little uh slideshow thing has definitely gotten better in quality, though. Uh, the drawings and everything definitely much better this time around than they were in Phantom Hourglass. Well, I like to think that Nico has spent the intervening century getting better at that you know yeah i mean if he spent a whole century working on it i feel like he hasn't made enough progress to justify it but you know it's better it's a side gig sure okay i can get on board with side gig he's not the island's resident artist yeah like you uh he is not Mm, so anyway uh so we also so we get our introductory cutscene. we meet uh we meet this game's version of link who is just as incapable of staying awake through this presentation as every other incarnation of Link ever. Exactly. So um, we fall asleep. We wake up uh, this version of Link. Immediately, we have a very different character model that we're looking at right here. Um, we've got Engineer Link. Mm, yes. That we're presented with here. And I actually really like this look for Link. I kind of wish they'd kept it. Honestly, like, yeah. I think it looks good. I mean, this is a pre Breath of the Wild world. Right. Mm-hmm. Where I think the the notion of saddling Link with a not green tunic situation for the was majority like of the game. Is, yeah, exactly. That's fair. Um, but I, I wish it was at least an outfit that you could like switch back to. Like the crab or the lobster outfit from Wind Waker. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. That'd be fun. Yeah, that, that'd be great. Um, anyway, it's a cool little outfit, but we get the backstory here. Right. So the tracks that litter the surface of new Hyrule have been harnessed to create a system of transit. Um, the way that people get around this continent island i don't know what it is um is via train island it's australia (laughs) it is the australia of the the great sea the great sea yeah the world whatever the planet of hyrule sure is yeah um so they use trains to get around this is the crux of the entire game this is the this is the game of trains choo choo all aboard here we go um choo 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 and that is the truth yeah so uh, blaine is a pain and that is the truth uh, hey, so I just finish that oh yeah yeah he's dead ski oh uh, oh so you're eddie, in eddie killed him with the with the jokes so you're in wizard and glass now i am in wizard and glass it's man great. you are ripping through those books well, st- like i said i spent two hours in traffic today so uh, that's yeah. fair stephen king's magnum opus the dark tower go give it a listen or read it if you haven't it's fantastic really, really really good not the movie 
Not the movie. Never the movie. What movie? There is no movie in Bossing Say. Exactly. Wow, we are really mixing Whoa! up. We are really mixing up our. The overlap <laughs> was strong there. So, okay. Anyway, so uh, trains. That's how people get around this new continent, which I, I actually it's think. It's pretty cool. It's a, it's a pretty cool narrative device, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as we come to learn, I don't remember if it's explicitly stated in the intro cutscene that the spirit tracks are also the shackles that are keeping Maladus under the ground. It's definitely. It's definitely specified in it's, this chunk of game. It's heavily implied in the drawing because the tracks are the things that are leading up into the tower. And it is explicitly stated that the tower is the keystone holding it, holding it in. So it's like heavily implied in the opening cutscene, but not explicitly stated. Okay, cool. Um, look, so all Zelda games have their hook, right? They have their stylistic pillars, their inspirations that they draw from. Um, Breath of the Wild was kind of the techno fantasy Zelda, right? Uh, Zelda's Tears. Yeah, exactly. Wind Waker was the nautical Zelda, et cetera, et cetera. How do you feel about the concept of a locomotive Zelda? Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, I'm not like opposed to it as a concept necessarily. Um, it's just a little jarring to see Link on a steam engine locomotive that looks like it should be out of the 1800s. Um, for some reason, like I always just imagine Link on a horse or a, uh, you know, a covered wagon. But, um, you know, Link was flying gliders around in Tears of the Kingdom. So there, there's <laughs> definitely a feeling of uh, <laughs> there's an what what's the word it's anachronistic no it's not anachronistic it's, anachronistic there's an anachronistic quality to link on a train mm-hmm. that distinguishes it a little bit from other modes of travel and other main gimmicks yes that agreed. we have that we have in other zelda games and i i don't want to say that it's too far i don't want to say that it's too much i agree with you it's on that it's not too campy yet yeah it's like you know uh we've all seen the breath of the wild concept art situation where they were trying to figure out like where do we go from here and one of the explorations they did was like what if link was a skater boy right um, <laughs> uh yeah not that like, that's not that's that. too far that's too far <laughs> but you know you, you don't want hyrule skater 2000 in lieu of yeah, tony hawk this is somewhere between the renaissance <laughs> fair of twilight princess and skater boy Link, right <laughs> it's a little further towards skater boy but not quite it's, all the way it's over riding there. the line it's riding a line. It's it's riding a track, if you will. So, <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> I think it's fine. How many? How many? Uh, <laughs> how many train puns can we fit in one season? I'm I think just we're gonna figure that I'm out. Just going where the spirit leads, man. Stop it. Where the spirit tracks lead. Look, flip that. Flip that. Flip that switch and get on a different track, Lyndon. We need to get back on track. I don't know here. if I can. <laughs> I need a second. <laughs> oh. Oh, at least we make ourselves laugh if nobody else. <laughs> I am a master at self-amusement. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yeah. You have been your entire life. Oh, geez. Um, okay. So the 
the foundation of the story, because what, what we have here is the classic Link situation, right? Where Link is on the cusp of achieving something, and that is also the start of his quest, right? Yes. Uh, we get a similar situation in Skyward Sword, right? Link is about to graduate from the Knights Academy, goes through that whole process, gets his outfit, um, kicks off the events of the game, right? In Spirit Tracks, Link is about to graduate and get his engineer certificate, which means that he's going to be able to freely traverse the railways of New Hyrule in his own locomotive. But first, he's got to go to the DMV. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and by the DMV, I mean have apparently a royal audience with the Princess Zelda. With no line. What's that about? Yeah, seriously. Why is nobody else trying to get their train certificate? And can I get my driver's license in New Hyrule so that I don't have to wait in the DMV line? Didn't honestly. have to take a number or anything. And it's he didn't have crazy. to parallel park. It's wild. Nothing. Wild. Uh, didn't have to demonstrate a flawless three-point turn mm, no no oh they don't we, they don't test for j turns i just did one of those oh i'm okay. just kidding i didn't do a j okay. turn but that would have been kind of fun <laughs> i definitely would have failed had i done a j turn yeah, but uh-huh. <laughs> um so that's kind of the, the narrative setup that we have for this entire game we've got a uh we've got to hop a train to hyrule castle and meet princess zelda to get our engineer certificate so that's kind of the basis of what we're working with here um we start doing our first little bits of traversal our, our first tiny exploration of new hyrule And it's at this point that we are forcefully reminded that, yes, this is basically another game in the exact same vein as Phantom Hourglass, right? Yes. It's at this point that we're moving around with the stylus, right? We're doing all the same, like, like point to click to pick up rocks and do all those sorts of things. Nothing is all that different from what we were seeing in Phantom Hourglass. Did you notice any kind of graphical improvement over the past game? Um, yeah, I did mostly in the, the Sprite of Link. It's a little crisper. It's, it's, it's a little bit crisper. The lines are more defined. It's not quite as blurry around the outlines of everything going on. Uh, mostly I see this in, uh, thin, uh, thin pixels like Blades of Grass or something like that where they don't just look like formless blobs you can also see a little bit in the detail on things like the stones right mm-hmm. there's there's and the like shield some, there's some swirl going on there yeah. right the, the shield actually you can tell that it has a crisp heraldry and you can tell what it has yeah. on it i mean it's unfortunate because overall this is still kind of a muddy looking art style mm-hmm. which is a shame because i feel like the um the intention was something that was a lot more interesting right yeah and, and especially like when you go and you look at the concept art you know I, you get the feeling that there was an idea to introduce some more stylistic elements that would make this world feel like Wind Waker, right? Mm. But with a few with a few more slightly modern touches, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that that would kind of befit the more like well, like we were saying, anachronist, anachronistic, anachronistic, eighteen hundreds like trains, you know, mm. all that sort of thing. Um, and I I, I think that. Had there been more graphical power to work with, then that would have been able to be sold a little bit more successfully. But as it stands, um, there were certain times that I was walking around where if I didn't know which game I had in the cartridge slot, I don't know if I would have been able – like if you just showed me a screenshot of it just in complete isolation, I'm not sure if I would have been able to tell you that it was Phantom Hourglass or Spirit Tracks, right? Obviously, for this first little bit of the game when we're wearing the Spirit Tracks – when we're wearing the engineer's outfit, then yeah, sure. But like once you get the clothes, you know – Everything else is kind of just starting to look pretty samey. And yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting that the sprite of Link is kind of taller and thinner than it is for Wind Waker Link. Like, I'm shocked they didn't, not shocked, but I'm, uh, 
I am noticing that it is not the exact same sprite mm-hmm. as it was in Wind Waker. And maybe I just forgot that that was the case from the last time we played Phantom Hourglass because mm-hmm. I've tried very hard to put Phantom Hourglass out of my mind entirely. So well, so to that point, here's a question that I have for you. We have played several games between two games, right? Mm-hmm. Twilight Princess and Minish Cap. Yes. Uh, between Phantom Hourglass and now. So yes. that's a little bit of a break from stylus controls. Oh, thank God. Getting back into it. Did you find that it was a little bit like riding a bike? Yeah, it was it was definitely a lot easier than yeah. when I was starting Phantom Hourglass and was having a real hard time with it. Like there was no kind of awkward how do I do this for sure. situation, right? And following the advice of our good friend Max Nichols, I am using the long stylus that came with the Majora's Mask 3DS case. Uh, the I'm using the nice. uh, Master Sword one, so nice. it's longer, so I can actually see the whole screen this time. The first thing I did when I walked out of our house was attempt to roll double tap it baby it is way easier so much better holy cow yeah that is truly big game changing yeah so we get to hyrule castle we stop uh we make a stop through castle town on the way um i just want to say that uh i spent no time really wandering around castle town seeing what was there i did and there's nothing to see it seems like a pretty big place and so but there's nothing in it okay well i'm, I'm hoping that that changes later in the game i mean I don't I think it's it's way too much to hope that we're going to get a minish cap adjacent situation where it's like this lively bustling town filled with people who have interesting stories and names and situations and whatnot. Sure. Like there's no I, I would be shocked if that's what we get here. Um, but I'm going to go back and, ch- and check back in on that at a later time. Yeah, same. But we get to Hyrule Castle, which is a pretty cool looking version of Hyrule Castle. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think it's very impressive that this just popped up in the span of a hundred years. Yeah, right? seriously, that is an impressive uh, build time. Um, what did you think of the music in this Hyrule Castle? So, I found the music in Hyrule Castle to be unremarkable, simply because it wasn't the Hyrule Castle theme. However, so my, you know, th- those are my feelings on that. Uh, I, I stand by it. What I will say is that I felt like the approach to music generally in this first section of game uh, left me pretty pleased, to be honest, right? Like there was almost nothing that was in here that was a direct rip of any past Zelda game, right? Uh, There are one or two themes that are lifted from Phantom Hourglass, like when you're in a cave. The cave theme is the same, you know, but for the most part, all of these areas have got unique themes, right? Mm. Um, there's a lot of bespoke music that's happening here that is unique to spirit tracks. And I feel like I've got to call that out because that was one of our biggest gripes with Phantom Hourglass. And seeing that there's an active commitment to not doing that here leaves me feeling warm and fuzzy. You know, I, I will say outside of the overworld theme, which is fantastic. There wasn't a single musical theme that I was just kind of like that got stuck in my head. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I could tell you what that was right off the right off the top of my head, Um, which is kind of a shame. But, hey, it's all it's all new. So I've Mm. got to give it credit for that. Yeah, I I totally agree. So I will say that I was actually really disappointed in both the Hyrule Castle Town theme and the Hyrule Castle theme. I thought they were very subdued, boring, honestly, and non-remarkable. But. Everything else, like you said, was was pretty good. And 
the thing again that I, originality yeah key the thing that i like about the musical approach in this game and listen for it next time you you uh jump on to play a chunk of game um it's got a lot of like low whistles that are incorporated yes into it right which is kind of capitalizing on the train theme of the whole thing yes it's appropriate and it's it feels intentional and i appreciate it they're really stoking that firebox of uh the train theme yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to have the the train Zelda game, then you've really got to commit to the bit. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, uh, yeah, all of that aside, um, I will say, maybe save this for later, actually. Um, so we, we get into Hyrule Castle and we talk to Zelda. Um, and it is literally the same sprite, basically pixel for pixel, of Tetra's Princess Zelda costume, which well, is great. Which, honestly, in, which in fairness, though, we didn't see, see her in very that. much. We didn't see her in that outfit in Phantom Hourglass. True. Um, I I really like, and I'm saying this because I like it. Like, I think this was really good. It's nice to see that when they established a kingdom, they kind of went back to the tradition, right? They didn't try to, like, make it a pirate kingdom. They were like, no, we're going to make it, like, Hyrule of old. Mm -hmm. And they are committing to that. And I thought that that was a good bit of world building that they did. Yeah. Uh, And this is about the point in the game, too, where we start getting hints as to the backstory of this game, right? Like, you can see Tetra up in the stained glass window in the throne room. Which was really cool. Which was really cool. And and little little hints are kind of scattered all through out this chunk of game um, that are kind of establishing that connective tissue it's kind of a nice balancing act right because you want those things there for the people who have played wind waker and phantom hourglass but you don't want to beat anyone over the head with it if they're playing this zelda game for the first time yeah or if they're playing this as their Their first first zelda Zelda, right um and I, i think that that's something that spirit tracks actually does very successfully in its opening hours is establish a story that is equally as effective as a standalone narrative as it is a sequel to Wind Waker and Phantom Hourglass. Good. Yeah, no, I I agree completely. I think um, they've done a good job of all of that. Um, we get our introduction to who is pretty much immediately uh, noticeable as the antagonist of the story in the Chancellor. He's wearing two top hats, so he's got to be up to no good. <laughs> so I saw that and I was like, that's weird. I didn't really think much of it. And then he smiled and he had very pointed teeth. And I was like, oh, is this guy like a evil leprechaun? I was going to say, like, no way. This is the bad guy. Yeah. I was like, oh, is this an evil leprechaun, dude? And he's also a super huge jackass about everything. Yeah. And he's like, the princess is wasting time on these things. And, oh, the spirit tracks are going to disappear. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, how the hell do you know that the spirit tracks are going to disappear? And also, <laughs> why are you berating the princess for beho- for holding to tradition? And also, you're an asshole. Chancellor Cole is definitely established as the heel very early on. Like, yeah, um, not a not a nice guy, honestly. <laughs> so, yeah, no, very bad, very bad, dude. Um, like, and he even interrupts the ceremony and be like, "We're you're wasting too much time, princess. Hurry it up!" Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, "Dude, shut up. This isn't about you. I'm getting my certificate here. It's a big deal." Yeah, let me have my moment. Yeah. So, uh, what is the exact sequence of events that leads us from getting our certificate all the way through to the events at the? Yeah, so uh, we get the certificate, and at the end, when the Chancellor's, like, trying to rush Zelda out of the room, she secretly passes us a note, like, we're in class, and she doesn't want to get caught by the teacher. Uh, We read it, and she tells us to go around a secret entrance on the side of the castle to come to her chambers to discuss uh, 
a uh, an urgent matter. So we sneak around uh, past some guards who don't even give us any trouble, even though we're going into the princess's bedchambers. I feel like someone should probably stop you at that point, but nobody does. Yeah, the 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 Hyrule guard, the Hyrule royal guard is not the most vigilant at this point in the game. They they become vigilant as soon as it, you know, becomes inconvenient for them to be so. But like, <laughs> yeah. So so we sneak around to the side, go uh, talk to the princess, and she's like, I need you to sneak me out of here so we can go to the uh, spirit tower and talk to the sage who is there because something weird is going on. So then we embark on a fucking stealth escort mission. <sighs> so so here, here's, in the game. here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're right. It's not fun. It's not great. But, but it is an intro to a main mechanic. It is an intro to a main mechanic. Um, and I think that the mechanic itself works pretty well. Like mm-hmm. at this point, you're kind of being told to expect like, hey, a big part of this game is going to be you kind of maneuvering a secondary character, a secondary character around the map yep. and learning exactly how to do that. The thing that the thing that I always hate about this sort of thing is that um, because the, the nice thing is that it eschews certain um, inherent qualities of escort situations in other games, right? Yes, yes. Um, but what you still are left with is the the gummy situation of like, well, how far away does Zelda need to be from these characters to not be detected? Yeah. Like you don't really have a good sense of like how close is too close. What's the danger zone here? Um, and it, it's a segment where if you get caught one time, you have to start it back over. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of annoying, but at the end of the day, it is a good intro to a main mechanic that, takes you through the rest of this section of game for the most part. So um, we we go, we successfully sneak out of the castle, hop on board our train, which we are now the conductor of. We meet Alfonso on the way there, uh, and uh, Zelda recruits Alfonso to help us, and we learn that he actually used to be the captain of the Royal Guard and the best swordsman in all of Hyrule, which is pretty dope. He also has a cool rapier that he carries around with him, which I yeah, love. I was going to say, uh, really, really early points here for Alfonso as a character mm, mm-hmm. who I'm expecting, you know, great things from as the game goes on. Yeah, I hope he'd get some more, more cool stuff to do. Um, so we hop on board the train. Alfonso's like, well, you just got your train certificate. So you're the conductor now. And then Zelda says all aboard and we get the train joke of, wait, that's my line. So that was a, that was a fun little moment. I did chuckle out loud. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I did chuckle. So this is where we get our first little, uh, Oh, actually, no, we, we, got our first taste of train traversal going to the castle yeah right? alfonso yeah. says like oh this is gonna be your final test before we get there how do you feel about this system versus ship sailing in phantom hourglass the original system was better the when we get to it later you actually draw your tracks along it's basically the same but yeah. the first time we did it i was like this is good like i'm having to look forward and avoid other trains like i was like i was like this is good well, there, there's a mini game aspect to it especially the, the avoiding the other trains situation right where mm-hmm. you you can kind of see where they are on the map and you've got to maneuver yourself and try to time it right so that you're not crashing into them you know yep i was expecting that to kind of be a recurring thing and maybe and it was not maybe it will be later in the game but after you unlock basically free travel like once you get through the intro section and you're trying to make your way to the temple that whole situation of like other trains being on the track isn't something existent yeah and i'm wondering i'm wondering what to expect from that Mm -hmm. so we we hop back on board we start going towards the uh 
spirit tower and immediately like the train the tracks disappear uh the train crashes we're all thrown free and then cole and his goonie i don't remember the goonie's name um a burn i think b-y-r yeah that's right b-y-r-n-e uh uh ambush us and uh burn and alfonso get into a little bit of a fight uh burn makes some jabs about alfonso not being fully human which i guess means that burn is or Alfonso being fully human, so I guess Byrne is not. This uh, is the point where Minister Cole takes off both of his top hats. And you see his <laughs> uh, his horns, and he starts flying around like a little gnome, and I'm like, evil leprechaun. That's all I'm seeing is evil leprechaun. This I, dude, I don't this, like it. This dude's creepy. Yeah. He, he, there's that fun shot where it, like, does the three-part zoom into his evil face, <laughs> right? Like, ah, it's ah, like, ah. oh, man, it, it's just not going to get any better. I don't like it. I don't like this at all. <laughs> in, in the way that they intended it to be, of course. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, very, very intentional. Yeah. Um, but this is a fun little situation, right? Because this, the tracks disappear out from under the train, so it does kind of like an uncontrolled spin just in the middle of the grassy field. It Tokyo drifts, but in the early scenes where he's crashing into everything. Yeah, this, yeah. this jalopy that we start the game with. <laughs> it does not live long. No, it does <laughs> not. Bye. Yeah. Um, but basically, this is the this is the big main event that kicks off the plot of the whole game, which is where Zelda's spirit is separated from her body uh minister cole and burn take her body off to the spirit tower and we wake up back in the castle next to the unconscious form of alfonso um can i just say that the teacher i think that's just his name the teacher yes is maybe one of the most ineffectual characters in any he's Zelda like game. really dumb he's <laughs> like i need to tell the princess oh wait the princess was kidnapped well then i don't know who to tell oh what do i do and you're like just do something i don't know go tell the captain of the guard maybe seems but, like a logical secondary yeah. option but it's not too long before we're introduced to the disembodied spirit of zelda yeah which we can see and nobody else can which is interesting and i'm sure will be explained later yeah. but yeah um but basically what we have to do here zelda says hey this is this is horrible i want to be reconnected with my body we have to get to the spirit tower seems reasonable there's a secret entrance right? yes Go so we go up to her bedchambers, take the spirit flute, and then we start making our way to the spirit tower. Uh, we have to go get a sword from the captain of the guard. Learn classic, how to do, classic Zelda trope. Yep, we have to go learn how to do sword fighting, and then we make our way through the secret tunnel, bomb some walls. Secret tunnel, secret tunnel, secret, 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 secret tunnel, and die. <laughs> We're in an Avatar headspace because of all the announcements about the live action show recently. It's in the water. There's no doubt about yeah, it. No, yep. Um, so we use the secret tunnel, get to the spirit tower and meet uh, the sage of the spirit tower and Jean, who is a locomo. Uh, who <laughs> I is, just want to clarify. It's not and Jean. It's and Jean. And Jean. And Jean. A-N-J-E-A-N. I feel like in any other Zelda game, this would have been Impa. It, I literally, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, Impa. And then she's like, my name is Angene. And I was like, no, it's not. It's Impa. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, but uh, the Locomos are an interesting group of people. They are half human, half train. For a reason. Yeah, it's uh, it's goofy. It, it's real goofy C and there's certainly no around it. I, I, I thought she was in a wheelchair at first, but then she's like moving around and there's literally puffs of steam coming out of the engine. And I was like, oh, like you're literally half train. Okay. 
Sure. Uh, so, yes, there is an element of goof here. Um, but I think the lore of these indigenous people of this continent is kind of interesting because it sets them up as a Sheikah adjacent people. And they seem semi-immortal because Angene says that they were present on the island when the ancestors landed. Uh, and Angene actually gifted the line of the royal family the spirit flute. Uh, and she's like, I remember your ancestor. And when Zelda uh, <laughs> is being kind of pert with her, she's like, ah, oh, it's just like your ancestor. And Jean's like, I was there, Zelda. Uh, I, was I was there, there 3,000 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Lord Elrond. Thank yeah. you. Um, oh, gosh. How, how many things have we... We've put so many in this one episode. So Somebody many- who has a lot of extra time on their hands should count and let us know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. Um... Oh, goodness. Where were we? Anyway, yeah, Angene, you know, kind of laying on thick the implications of her backstory and the connection with the royal family and with Zelda's ancestors, who Zelda knows some uh, something about, but apparently not everything. Um, And then Angene tells us we have to climb the spirit temple, the spirit tower, uh, because Zelda's body is at the top and they're planning to use Zelda's body to resurrect Maladus, the demon king. In the form of like Maladus literally in inhabiting her body yeah so 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 before we talk about the spirit tower i want to get into a conversation about zelda Mm. in this game um because this is the point you know when we meet zelda in the throne room and she gives us the the certificate right we're we're looking at a pretty classic interpretation of the zelda character right Mm -hmm. royal not a whole lot of personality kind of wrapped up in that but what i thought was really impressive was that as this chunk of game goes on we start to get more very distinctive touches to this Zelda's personality that I think set her apart actually from any incarnation of Zelda that we've gotten up until now. She's got a cool mixture of Tetra and Zelda Tetra. Yeah. And uh, she walks that line really well. She's also very self-aware, which I thought was hilarious. Right. I was literally laughing out loud when she's looking at Link and she's like, you have to go get my body. Oh my God. She's freaking out, understandably. And she's like, all right, you go do that and I'm going to stay here because that's what princesses do. And I was like, oh, you're very self-aware. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. She's <laughs> like, it's kind of a family tradition. Yeah. Right? I was like, you're very self-aware and I love that. But that's so hysterical because lines like that are all a complete setup for the fact that bum 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 zelda's our companion character in this game yes freaking yes! finally yes! golly and there was much rejoicing yay <laughs> it's been 84 <laughs> years yeah it's uh, like, wow we just went from monty python to titanic exactly <laughs> um, there's uh, less there's less daylight between those than you might think <laughs> and i'm not going to expound on that point because yeah. i have nothing to support it with i'm yeah. just gonna let it fly okay cool um but no it's so it's so funny because you can tell that to the people who were making spirit tracks, they identified this as being like, okay, this is our big subversion of the formula. Like this is what we're adding to the Zelda universe. We are giving you an active Zelda and we're going to insert all these wink, wink, nudge, nudge lines and moments that kind of, uh, that acknowledge that fact that this is not like you were used to Zelda, like something terrible happening to Zelda in the beginning of the game. And then, and then she's, she's just gone. And then she's a piece of rock in a room for the entire <laughs> game. And then she wakes up at the end. Right. Like <laughs> happened twice. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that it happened twice is weird. Yeah. So um, if I had a nickel. I knew that this was happening. I knew that Zelda was the companion character in this game. 
But the 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 reveal, the in-game of it. How it happened was really cool. Yes. I also knew, but I thought we were going to have Phantom Zelda the whole time. Instead, we're having basically like Navi Fairy Zelda interspersed with sometimes Phantom Zelda. Yeah. And but, like really cool. But with a ton, again, with just a ton of personality. I mean, it, it's early days. We have a lot of game left to play. But if this if this is the kind of character that Zelda is going to be throughout the entirety of Spirit Tracks and she's with us the whole time. A plus. Then, man, talk about your all time great companion characters. Like seriously, this was this is a real power move and I appreciate the hell out of it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I I think she's really great and interesting. Uh, the fact that Angie is like yeah i'm not gonna go help him so you're gonna have to go and zelda's like what i okay i guess sure so then we run up the stairs run away from the phantom as soon as i saw the phantom spawn in i literally groaned out loud i was like are you kidding yeah, me? I i'm say, not doing this again i had i had it in my notes i was like and here we take our first steps into the temple of the ocean i mean the spirit, spirit tower yeah. i was like god Damn it, not again. <laughs> and then I remembered everyone in our Discord was like, you don't have Temple of the Ocean King again. And I was like, okay, I'm going to not totally freak out but yet. But it was the whole thing. Like, you load in, you see the Phantom, you see the map layout. And you see the safe zones. Right. Which are literally coded exactly the same and way. And you're hearing all the music and sound cues that are the oh exact God, same. So bad. And boy, my my trauma alarm the was... PTSD was everywhere. It was going off the chart oh, at this bad. point. It was bad. Like... um. It was bad. We couldn't make the safe zones look any different. Like, we had to take the exact same swatch from Phantom Hourglass and just reuse it here. And someone will say, like, oh, uh, well, it's because they built the Spirit Tower, and when Link and Zelda built it, it was they used the Temple of the Ocean King. Incorrect. Spirit Tower was here first. Before... Zelda and uh, before Tetra and Link landed, so they had nothing to do with the construction of the Spirit Tower. This is all Nintendo reusing assets, and I hate it. Yeah, put that in your spirit flute and blow it. (laughs) (laughs) What? I gotcha. You ass. That was good. That was good. That was good. That was good. Oh boy. That was a good one. Uh, okay. Uh, wow. Ooh. This is going to be a fun season. So we get promptly shooped back out of the spirit tower. We have to go back to talk to Angine. Uh, you know, we're like, hey, Angine, what's the deal? Um, I have genetic memory that is traumatizing me. <laughs> This is not going to fly. Yeah. What are we going to do? So, oh, go power up your sword with some tears, of course. Sure. And uh, hit the phantom in the back. I I love how, and I'm not sure to what extent the phantoms are going to be a recurring element in the spirit tower. I've got to believe it's a main thing. Um, And if that is the case, then I appreciate, if if you're going to give us a Temple of the Ocean King adjacent experience, I appreciate you giving us an avenue by which we can actually deal with the phantoms in an active way from the beginning. Yeah, one of the main things we hated about Temple of the Ocean King was there was nothing to do about the phantoms except run away from them. Now, we don't have that problem. So, it feels like Nintendo was kind of receiving some of the same feedback we were giving and they were like okay let's change this formula up a bit let's remove the timer let's allow them to do something about the phantoms and then let's like make this a little bit more interesting than just timed stealth 
crapshoot. So all of that being said, definitely a big step in the right direction. Um, as we're in the spirit tower the next time and we hit the, we hit the phantom It apparently isn't stunned as much as we thought. And then Zelda does the cool thing where she, uh, literally possesses the phantom armor. And that was a really cool moment. I I liked that a lot. It becomes purple. That's neat. It it does become purple and it has pink eyes. Uh, and Zelda's walking around in what she describes as a pile of scrap metal, which I feel like is an unfair description of what is honestly a really cool character model. Oh yeah, for sure. The phantoms look amazing. (laughs) I feel like they looked really good in phantom hourglass too. It's just, they just sucked. They were a huge pain. Yeah. Um, but here, so this is great because now what we're, what we're getting is the promise of having a much more interesting way. Like even if the spirit tower was not a one-for-one reinterpretation of the Temple of the Ocean King, but even if it's a super similar experience all the way through. Having this extra element of Zelda being able to inhabit a phantom and you're able to leverage a lot of those um, second character guiding mechanics that we learned earlier, uh, and you can fall on those during the exploration of this area, I think that that is a really cool idea in and of itself. Yeah. Agree completely. Um, the fact that Zelda in phantom form can walk straight over spike traps. She can interact with other phantoms to distract them. All of those things are, are really cool and I appreciate them. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and honestly, I'm sure that, uh, our Johnson, the spirit tower are going to get, it's so hard not to call it the spirit temple. I, I have been stumbling over that the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our, I think our jaunts into the spirit tower are, predictably going to get longer and longer as we go further into the game this one was uh svelte it was yeah it wasn't too bad you know it didn't overstay its welcome it was a fun enough time i didn't hate it i really didn't um yeah it was it was it was it was good yeah i I wouldn't go any much past good yeah so uh we get the what is this called the the track chart something like that something like that Hold we get on, the, we get go. the basically we we get access to the map it's the same system as what the we rail had. map it's okay the rail map we got it's the same system as what we had in phantom hourglass right where you go unlocking the, new sections of map. yeah the the temple of the ocean king slash spirit tower is um an area that you go to between dungeons to unlock new sections of the map mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and in this case the goal is that we need to get to the forest temple uh, the MacGuffins that we're chasing are, what, what is it? Light force? Is it, what, what do we call this? Um, they're, they're magic triangles. I don't know. We're, we're <laughs> like lousy that. with those like in magic, the Zelda series. I like series. magic triangle. That's yeah. fun. I'm going to go just look it up. Force gem. They're force gems. Of course they're force gems. Why not? Cool. So basically what we have to do is in order to restore all of the spirit tracks to new Hyrule, we have to awaken the force gems in each of the temples uh, because the fiction that we're presented with is that the temples are supposed to be str- that like they're holding the force gems and each force gem is strengthening the seal on maladus yes right correct. um and so the only way that we're able to completely restore all the spirit tracks to new hyrule is to awaken all the force gems in the temples first ones in the forest temple um and so at this point this is where we gain access to what i would call the the main free roam in spirit tracks right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can even call it that. Right. Because we're still very much on rails. rails. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but we get the overworld theme here, which is awesome. It's really great. Really good. Holy cow. This is good stuff. This is. Dare I say it. Great C level of good. I would give it. I would. I would say top end to B at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. good. No. Great C as in. 
from oh, Wind Waker. Oh, I heard grade C. No, great C. Okay. Um. Yes. Yep. Yep. Sure. I would. I would go so far as to give it that. Which yeah. is high praise. We love that. Yeah. We should do a tiered list of like Zelda music at some point before though. Oh, that's, like, such, that's such a big list. Like though. F to S plus, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phantom Hourglass is entirely an F. Exactly. <laughs> the whole game. Right. Um, no. Okay. So we, so uh, also we get a new ride, right? We get the spirit train. Yes. Which looks a lot like the jalopy, but just kind of It looks, uh, it, let's be nice to the spirit train. It looks a lot better than the jalopy. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, Angene gives us with this train. Apparently that's not something she's supposed to do, but we need to get around. So we get the spirit train. Um, and this is the point where we're supposed to start heading off towards the forest area. We know where the forest temple is. We're told the tracks don't extend all the way there yet. So we have to go talk to another locomos who's in the forest area uh, by the name of Gage. Mm-hmm. who holds the power to restore more of the tracks, right? Yes. Did you go to, what is it, Whittlesville, Whittleswood? Whittleton. Whittleton? Whittleton. Yeah, Whittleton. Okay. Uh, did you go there before you went to talk to Gage the first time? Uh, almost no, but you have to, unless you get lucky, uh, because you have to go through the Lost Woods. Right. So well, I, I went straight into the Lost Woods and almost made it all the way through on the first try just out of pure luck. And then I was like, oh, I bet I can brute force this. I remember the track. And it was like, for mine, it was like two rights and then a left. But I, I did three rights. So I was like, oh, so if I do two rights and then a left. But it changes every time you enter it. So I, I did it three different times. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll go back to the town that is further up the track and talk to people there because I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. You know, I went to the town, I went to Whittleton first and, uh, The reason I did that is just because it was a spot on the map that I could tell I had access to, and I didn't know necessarily that it was a place that I had to go before doing the next thing, but I was trying to give this version of Hyrule an honest shake, right? Like I was trying to do as much exploration as was possible. I was like, cool, I'm going to go check out this new location that I now have access to. And so I got the clues about the Lost Woods before ever kind of driving in there. Okay. Um, Which, you know, it's fine, like doing it the way that you did. I don't think that probably didn't add more than another 10 minutes to your playtime, right? Yeah, not 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 much at all. So, you, you know, you go back, you talk to the village chief and he's like, oh, if you want to get to the forest temple, go talk to the people uh, of the town. They know the Lost Woods best. So you go talk to the townsfolk and one of them tells you, uh, watch the branches on the trees. We'll tell you which way to go. And then the second person will tell you um, the trees talk a lot except for the fourth tree who has no sense of direction. So it's supposed to be a hint of like, follow the branches until you get to the fourth tree, which is a misdirection. So do the opposite of what it says. So then I went and did that, got it right the first time. And then we're in the kind of forest sanctuary place. So it was about at this point that I decided that I prefer this version of traversal to phantom hourglasses. I also prefer this, but not by very much unless it unless we get some changes as the map continues to open up. Like I want to see more of the uh, looking ahead at the track, changing your route, going around obstacles. And uh, look, I'll be honest, the blowing the whistle to like scare away the enemies is not as fun as blowing them up with a big cannon. I do want the big cannon back. I got to believe that we're going to get some sort of offensive capability on the train at some point. I want big cannon. That's all I want. Yeah. Um, But I will say it's like, look, I mean, Phantom Hourglass, it's basically the same thing, right? Like you have to draw, you you draw lines and your auto 
going from one place to another place. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to have to do that, then I would prefer to just do it this way on rails, right? With no potential for like skewing off in a weird direction or agree, whatever, right? Like if, if, if free traversal quote, quote, the way that we have it in phantom hourglass is not intrinsically fun in and of itself, then just simplify it down, you know? Sure. Like, like is happening here in spirit tracks. And I feel like that's a better situation. So yeah, I well, agree. We'll see if I continue feeling that way because an argument could be made that this is just kind of like if you enjoyed the sailing in Phantom Hourglass, then this is probably pretty disappointing for you, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's it's fine. Like we'll we'll give it aggressively fine for right now. We'll see how it opens up as the game continues to. Open I like uh, I like choo choo in the train. I like pulling <laughs> the horn. You know, I, I literally I'm just sitting there as it's going along the track and I'm doing nothing else and I'm just burnt burnt. Burp, 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 and just like constantly <laughs> yanking the chain for no reason at all. So we get to the forest sanctuary and we meet Gage, who uh, informs us of the correct way to use the spirit flute. And it is here that <sighs> we that we are introduced to the first of what I can only assume are several different mechanics in this game that require you to blow into the damn microphone. Because if there was one (laughs) mechanic from Phantom Hourglass that everyone wanted them to double down on, it was having to use the freaking microphone. Um, So no one ever. I know, right? I will say, so far, it's not asked me to shout into the microphone, which... That's that's a plus is fine. That's good. There's something that's really awkward about actually using the spirit flute, because the way that it works is that you have to drag the stylus horizontally across your lower screen to line up the correct holes of the flute. Right. Yes. Um, But you have to blow into the microphone at the same time that you're doing that. The problem is, at least on the Majora's Mask Edition 3DS that we have, the microphone is in the lower right hand corner. Right. Yeah, but we're also right-handed, which means the stylus is like so over I, yeah, that. I'm like holding my hand at an awkward angle while holding the 3ds up to my mouth. So I'm like, yeah. So I'm, yeah, I was yeah. Say, I've got my I've got my stylus coming in at a 45 degree angle from the top right yeah. while I'm trying to get my head under my hand and blow into the microphone, <laughs> which is on the lower right. Dude, I was I was I was playing this, and my fiance was not in the room at the time, but she walked in while I was doing that, and she just looked at me. And she goes. This is one of those games you got to blow on, isn't it? I was <laughs> like, yes, unfortunately. It like, seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, hmm, that seems really dumb. And I was like, I mean, everybody in the world agrees with you about that, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I will say that, like, as, as a mechanic, actually using the spirit flute is somewhat inventive, yeah. right? I mean, it's like... It's one of the more active situations that you have to participate in with a musical instrument in a Zelda game. Yeah. Right? No. And I need you to fully picture this, Lyndon. I'm on the couch in the living room doing this with my hand in weird positions. Marilyn walks into the into the living room from the kitchen with one of those Girl Scout cookies, and she's just munching on that Girl Scout cookie, half full mouth. She goes, "You gotta." blow on this one huh and it's just like, <laughs> like the mental picture of the whole situation was just hilarious and i was like hmm, yep and i'm like kind of semi ashamed looking like shiner when he does something bad i'm just like yeah, yeah. this is a beautiful mental tableau matt who's like holding one arm around the back of his neck <laughs> holding the 3ds got the stylus <laughs> crisscrossing <laughs> and like yeah it, it was it was probably not a flattering position to find me yeah, in. Some, some contortions are required and that's a huge pain in the butt um i didn't mind it too terribly much did you get the um did you unlock the song of awakening on the way I did, out yes, okay I cool did. 
Um, so yeah, I, I will say uh, so far, at least the songs that you have to play on this thing are not overly complex, right? They so t- far. They've been like two or three note affairs. Yep. Right. Um, if they get much more than that, then I can see this becoming a real pain in the butt. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like the, just the sliding, if you have to slide more than one direction in a song, which I'm assuming we're going to have to at some point, I can see that becoming kind of a pain. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so we unlock the rest of the spirit tracks that lead up to the Forest Temple. Do we have anything else that we want to say about just the intro to spirit tracks? Um, Gage's cello is awesome. I would rather be playing that. <laughs> right? Yeah. You don't have to blow on a cello. No, you can literally just do it with your silence. You can... Now your wife is giving us that stare, and we're not even doing it. <laughs> My wife, as as I'm talking, walks right outside the windows by where we're recording, hears me say, you don't have to blow on a cello, and raises one eyebrow. <laughs> this game is all sorts of embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> They're making us work for this one, man. <laughs> it's going to make good pod. Uh, anyway, uh, cello cool. Uh, now we're, uh, open path to, uh, Forest Temple. Yeah. Um, at Forest Temple, by the way, the exterior looks pretty cool, right? This is like a ziggurat looking thing. Mm, yes. It's neat. Yes. It it's, is neat. Yeah, it, it I also love cool. that it's in a tree. It is. Yes, yeah, it is. So that's a canonical Zelda in a big tree. Yeah. So before we get into the dungeon map, first steps, first impressions, we're, we're still in the R takes, did you like it section of of the pod right (laughs) yeah and so let's go ahead and talk about how we're feeling about spirit tracks so far versus phantom hourglass without leaving the dungeon out of it right but just we we have a we have a sense of the flow and mechanics of this game now um i think there are things it does better than phantom hourglass um music graphics a little bit better stories um, better stories way better the companion characters way better um yeah like the, some of those things are, are definitely big improvements um god the blowing on things mechanic it just never needs to be a thing ever it's horrible i hate it um we'll have more to say about this in a minute yes we will um i mean just still stylus controls just aren't my favorite like they're f- I'm used to them, so they're not like a barrier, but I still just don't like them. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of my general blush impression so far. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, Let's go ahead then and get into the dungeon map, which is the section of pod where we talk about this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. This week's dungeon is the Forest Temple. All right. So the Forest Temple overall layout, I believe that this is a three floor temple. Um, I could be wrong about that. I'm trying to find a picture of the map. Uh, let's see. I'm going to call it three floors. I'm not sure if that's. Okay. I think that's right. Here we go. Floor one, two, three. Yes. Uh, this is a three floor temple. Um, I wish that I could say that it has any kind of symmetry or not. It really doesn't. It has no kind of coherent theme to its arrangement. Um, 
it is foresty themed, right? Like we've got uh, we've got a tree canopy, we've got vines, we've got grass on the floor. Um, in terms of enemies, um, let's see. The lineup is looking like bubbles, uh, key masters. We've got spinuts and green spinuts. We've got a bug type enemy called the Vengus. And then we've got blast worms, which when you hit them, they uh, they kind of roly poly up into a bomb like shape. And then you can use them the same way that you would use bombs in any other Zelda game. Mm -hmm. Uh, The item is the whirlwind. The mini boss is a mothula and the boss is a stagnox, which is giant stag beetle. Yeah. Giant skeletal stag beetle. Um, Yeah, so very much an introductory dungeon here, right? I'm just going to start things off and say that um, one of the things that I disliked the most about Phantom Hourglass dungeons was the fact that from a layout standpoint, it just didn't feel like there was much of a rhyme or reason to it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It felt like they they sat down with a rectangular area and just said, how many, like, what puzzles do we want to have and how do we need to arrange the rooms so that we can kind of get those things, right? Like, yep. it's it's functional, but it's not artful. And that style of dungeon design absolutely carries forward here, right? Mm. Um, lots of other top-down Zelda games have got dungeon arrangements that have uh, like a, a structure to them, right? Like they have wings, you know? They've got symmetry either vertically or horizontally, right? Like they've You have got- some that are literally shaped like a pot. Exactly. Um, and – you know what? Phantom Hourglass didn't have that. And it seems so far like Spirit Tracks is also not really focusing on that as a priority, which again, like, like we said in our Phantom Hourglass season, you can have good puzzles within that sort of experience, but you really are missing kind of an X factor. If you're not, if you don't have that intentionality of design and layout, you're really missing the huge sense of place factor. Like, look, you can, you can dress this up as a forest temple by putting vines places and a little tree canopy and making the main coloration green. But like, it doesn't feel like a forest temple because it doesn't feel like you're in a tree or in an abandoned castle in the forest. It just feels like you're in kind of a nondescript, little uh place that has some puzzles in it and some enemies and was this temple just like really short to you i think i did this in like 20 minutes yeah it it was short it was not difficult the puzzles were all they they all felt kind of softball it was very like kindergartner's intro to zelda i I recall phantom hourglass's first temple being more difficult than this i agree I, i don't think we had many duds in phantom hourglass season as far as temples go like we we had the overarching complaint about lack of sense of place outside of cobblestone kingdom but um like yeah we're continuing that but also it's just way easier now and not really challenging and not I didn't think this was all that fun. Yeah, the, this whole temple just has sort of a so what kind of quality to it, you know? Like I, I felt like the intro section of the game was far stronger than the temple. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that, um, including the spirit temple. Yeah, or the, uh, the Tower of Spirits. Freaking spirit tower, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do that a lot this season. Yeah, I know. Um, no, I, I totally agree. I, th- I thought that this was really softball. Um, like, there's two or three enemies in the whole thing outside of the Mothula boss. Um, and uh, a lot of it is like environmental puzzle solving, like hitting the the bomb beetles and then rolling them into the crackable uh, stones or uh, using the gale thing to get the smoke away or using the gale 
thing to move the key. Um, I was I was such an idiot, Matt, because I walked oh. in here and within the first few rooms, you start seeing areas of the temple that are covered in like a purple fog, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so immediately, if you played enough Zelda games, you know, okay, Gust Jar. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm I'm going to need some way to clear this fog, and that's going to be the main item of the temple. And because we just got done playing Minish Cap, my mind immediately went to Gus Jar. Same. Yay. I literally thought Gus Jar. That would be fun. What we get is so much worse. Blow on it. That's what we get is a blow on it item. The item that you get in the forest temple is called the whirlwind, and it mm. it's it is literally a pinwheel. Mm. And the pinwheel is able to uh emit uh, jets of air cyclones right which are able to stun enemies they're able to push items across gaps on the like held aloft on the wind right yep and they're also able to clear out fog that sounds fun right yes you know what's not fun <laughs> blowing on the microphone yeah. to make it happen the way that you actually have to do this which is that you have to face the thing that you want to blow on equip the item and then blow into the microphone it's so dumb Dear freaking God. So dumb. Why? Why? I. This is my new least favorite item of all time. This was such a freaking kick in the pants because one of the things that nobody would ever be able to take away from Phantom Hourglass is that it had really good and fun items to use, right? Really good items. They were items that... 100% capitalized on the stylus system. Like the items themselves were almost a good enough case in Phantom Hourglass to justify stylus controls. Not quite, but man, they got close. Uh, and if this is what items are going to be like in Spirit Tracks, then man, I don't know. This was this was an immediate downgrade over anything that we got in Phantom Hourglass. So bad. And it's just it's really unfortunate. And and one of the reasons it's like the fiction of the thing is cool, but just mechanically, the process of actually using it, right? You have got like th- two to three steps between you realizing what you have to do and you being able to actually do it, right? Yeah. I will say please if you if you didn't listen to Phantom Hourglass, our Phantom Hourglass season and if you don't know this, Get real comfortable with using the left bumper on your Game Boy because that does allow you to fast equip an item without having to tap the little node with your stylus. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not doing that, then this is just this, I can only imagine how frustrating this is, right? Because then what you're having to do is to f- try and face the moving object that you're wanting to use the whirlwind on, right? Then tap the little icon that equips it, then draw a little line, right? That that guides where the wind goes, then blow into the microphone, and then at the end of all that, hope that the moving target that you were trying to hit with the wind is still lined up, is still lined up correctly, right? Yeah. No, it's 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 bad. It's just bad all the way around. I I don't have a single good thing to say about it, honestly. Yeah. Like it even looks dumb. Like the the model of it looks dumb. I mean, hate I don't, it. I don't hate the, I don't hate the design of the thing. It's fine. I don't, I don't like, hate it, but I think it looks dumb. It's, okay, all right. That, you're entitled to that opinion, Matt. Thank you. And I don't love this thing enough to argue with you about <laughs> it. So it doesn't deserve my my effort. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, and even for the purposes of puzzle solving, right? I mean, yes, sure, it's fun enough to like. Uh, blow a bomb bug across a gap to blow something up right sure or to blow a key across a gap so you can get it on the other side right but the thing is man we've been doing that with boomerangs and zelda games forever, forever. like yeah you know wind waker 
uh, Wind Waker did that with boomerangs with the lock on mechanic, right? And there's boom, boom, yeah, yeah. Gale boomerang and Twilight Princess. And there's nothing, there's nothing about the way a boomerang would work in spirit tracks that would make it impossible to just do the same thing. Yeah. Right. The only reason that it works this way is because somebody said, Hey, for this item, you should have to blow into the microphone to use it. What is it with blowing into the microphone so far? Like, I don't understand who thought this was such a good mechanic that it just needs to be in every aspect of the game. I don't get it. Who, who thought this was enjoyable enough to make it a main mechanic of, uh, the game and also a main mechanic of an item. It's baffling. Yeah. Just seriously. Such a pain in the butt. Design decision makes no sense. Anyway, <sighs> fine. All right. So we make our way through the dungeon. We have a few key doors, right? We're using the whirlwind, which in fairness, we do get fairly early on, right? Uh, it doesn't, we don't even get it after like a major battle or anything, you know? No, it's just you just kind of get it. You just kind of get it. Um, and to the point where like I got it and I was just like, oh, was that the, was that the dungeon item? It's like, okay, I guess, I guess it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a mini boss fight, which in fairness if if there is a case to be made for why this item might be fun to use, then I think the mini boss fight does its its darndest to try and make that case. And so does the second stage of the main boss fight, I guess. Right. But yeah, they, they try hard for it to be interesting. Um, the mini boss fight was kind of interesting in a way. Um, I definitely got uh, the rebound uh, whirlwind twice before I figured out that I had to be a little more patient for him to throw something at me to then shoot it back at him. Um, but this mini boss went down fast thinking like two, maybe three hits. Yeah. It's not hard once you get the hang, like it goes quick once you get the hang of it. Um, but I definitely got, I got caught up for a second trying to figure out like, okay, am I supposed to be doing a dead man's volley thing here with the wind or, yeah, you know? Um, and, and of course, once you figure it out, you're like, all right, he shoots skulls every now and again, and I've got to blow those back at him. Right. Yes. Um, you only have to do that twice to beat the boss. Yep. So easy. Yeah. Um, you know, on paper, it's, it's all fun mechanics, right? Like it's an interesting fight on paper in practice. It's all tied to the mechanics of using the whirlwind, which is intrinsically not fun. Yes. So, agreed completely. Yeah. Um, I mean, do we have anything else we want to say about this dungeon before I don't we think there's the anything box? else to I mean, say? It does. Again, it, it's got its own unique theme. Right, it's got it's it's got unique music. Yes, Tie true. Fighter. But the thing is, even though it is, even though it's unique music, I I can't really say that it was super distinctive. Yeah, it was pretty subdued. Pretty like I don't even remember what it sounded like, honestly. And I played it an hour and a half ago. Like, yeah, just it was kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Um, I guess let's just go ahead and get into talking about the boss fight, which is... Uh, Stagnox. Stagnox, right? Um, very cool design. Very cool artistic design for a boss, right? Totally agree. Um, we get a bunch of Stal variety of enemies in the Zelda series, right? Like Stalthos, um, Stalnox, uh, varieties therein. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. of bony creatures, you know? St- uh, bone Lazalfos in breath of the wild yeah 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 um but it's really cool to see that sort of approach uh grafted onto an insect enemy yeah no i agree i think i think this guy's really cool i think he's got some cool coloration he's got some cool uh movements i i think they did a good job artistically representing a gigantic malevolent stag beetle um 
and <laughs> Fletch in Skyward Sword would probably uh, not like this guy very much. I, I don't think that he would. <laughs> the fight itself, uh, I appreciate that it has two distinct phases. Yes. That's always a plus. Yes. We always appreciate that. Uh, the first phase, I you know, it had me worried because the first phase was not capitalizing on the dual screen perspective situation. Yep. In the way that Phantom Hourglass taught us to expect. Right. Uh, because, uh, again, another thing about Phantom Hourglass was the boss fights tended to be pretty great. Yes. Agreed. Because they were all finding unique and interesting ways to use that split between the, the top split screen and the bottom screen. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first phase, there was not a whole lot of that. Right. All you have to do in the first phase is get around behind the beetle, use the whirlwind to put out the foggy butt situation he has going on. <laughs> yeah. He. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm ch- I chose not to think too terribly much about that. But cool. yes. Stinky butt. Once you've done that a few times, you kick it into the second phase. And here's where the perspective does kind of come into play a little bit more, right? Uh, Because at this point, you start having blast bugs that are kind of populating around the arena. You start noticing that Stagnox is floating in the sky up on the top screen. Yep. And every now and again, we'll try to dive bomb you, right? Yes. And so you put two and two together. You realize I've got to use the blast bugs uh, to blow up Stagnox whenever he's close to the ground. And then I can probably do a damage phase. And sure enough, that's how it works. Um, and there's some fun to be had here, right? Trying to find that perfect timing of like getting your blast bugs ready to go, getting lined up with the whirlwind, waiting until Stagnox is going in for the dive bomb, right? Um, some precision is required and it's, uh, you know, I feel the same way about it as I do with the Mothula fight on paper. It's fun. It's interesting. Again, in, in execution, in execution, it's all just tied. It, it's relying on an item that intrinsically is not good. Yeah, so it's, like it's y- only fun if the whirlwind is fun and the whirlwind isn't fun. Yeah, I agree completely. Like um, it took me a minute to get the timing down for the uh, bomb insects and like just just all of that was it, none. None of it was none of it was good. Honestly, like it, it was mediocre at the beginning. Then it was. It got interesting when you went to split screen perspective and then it immediately went back to mediocre, then into bad with the with the item usage. And I was just like, it's just ugh, yeah, not good. Yep, for sure. Couldn't agree more. Um, and yeah, I mean, before too long, the boss fight is over. We've unlocked the force gym. We get a heart container. Uh, as soon as you awaken the force gym, you were told, hey, guess what? It worked. More of the spirit tracks are back. Yay, more spirit tracks. Woo, maybe we can go more places and find more interesting things to do and better items to play with. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. Um, anything else we want to say about this dungeon before we get out of part three? Not good. Yeah, not great. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's highly underwhelming as a first dungeon. I mean, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of like low points in first dungeons in Zelda games, and this might be close to the. This is close, definitely is close to the bottom. I mean, I, I think this is probably the bottom of the barrel. For I mean, first I would ra- I would rather play Tail Cave over this. I would I agree. You know, yeah. and not, ta- and Tail Cave is not such of a much right. Right. It's it's easy puzzles, and at the end you fight Moldorm. So it's like <laughs> oh Moldorm. Yeah. But at least you get the nostalgia of like ah Moldorm. You get the Rock's Feather in the Tail Cave. See Rock's Feather's great item. Yeah. Really good item. Yeah. Whirlwind, not great item. Bad item. All right, y'all. Let's go ahead and get into part four, which is Bloopy Trails, where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention this week. I don't think we have anything here. I don't think you can do anything. So there were there were a lot of hints for what I assume are Bloopy 
movie trail adjacent things, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was hearing a lot about stamps and postcards and all kinds of stuff. I don't know what any of those things are. Mm-hmm. I, I found like five or six places during my playtime this uh, this week where it was just like, oh, oh you need a stamp, stamp book. book. Yes, I was like, including one inside the dungeon. I was like, okay. I was like, I'm really hoping that's not like a 3DS online thing that is no longer accessible because if that is – I guarantee you there are going to be a lot of puzzles that are about unlocking stamp book things. And if it's a 3DS online uh, thing, God, it's going to be, be Twilight, Twilight Prince Princess all over mechanic. Again. Yeah, God, I, I'm not. I can't. That's my nightmare. That. I don't know for sure, but that's my nightmare. I, I can't handle that. So, all right. Well, I guess we'll check back in on it. But yeah, as it stands right now, I mean, I I don't know that I interacted with a single character this week that. Um, had that get that left me with the impression that there was anything more happening than just the main plot that I was exploring at the moment. Uh, no, I think you're correct. And looking at the as I had the guide open during this uh section uh of pod, you cannot get any extra heart pieces, no extra force gems, no extra anything. So it looks like there's pretty much not anything you can do outside of go by the shield by collecting enough rupees. Oh, wh- wh- which I, I did. I did that as well. This I shield looks really it. cool. I do like this shield. It's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really fun and interesting design. All right, let's go ahead and get into part five, which is Z-targeting, where we lock onto fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, I'm going with the postman. So the postman made me laugh out loud because it's kind of a similar character design to the postman in Phantom Hourglass minus the weird Cupid baby wings that freaked me out so much in Phantom Hourglass. He's still got the same like weird baby face that makes me want to punch him hard. Um, But the funniest thing about the postman, you know who the postman looks like? Tell me. Scott Farkas from A Christmas Story. Yes! Oh my God! He looks like a black-haired Scott Farkas. Yes! No wonder I want to hit him so hard. So help me God, yellow Yellow eyes! eyes. (laughs) God, that was a good call. Um, So Scott Farkas, the postman, uh, the funniest thing he did was when he walked up to me, he was like, "Uh, so here, I have a letter for you. Um... We used to read people's letters out loud to them, but we were told that was rude. So now we just hand deliver them. <laughs> Whatever works for you, I guess. And I was like, thank God you're not you're not reading it out loud to me anymore. It's it's so hysterical. I, that made me laugh as well because I was like, oh, the post office got like an HR complaint between Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. They right? definitely read something not safe for work in a workplace environment to somebody. <laughs> can't do that yep no i I thought this was a great joke like it was really it it was a really fun like little meta like okay yeah we get that that was weird in the last game (laughs) yeah yeah so that's my z targeting scott farkas the postman (sighs) yeah you know i'm gonna go with uh this is so hard because there were a few characters that were really interesting this week that i i could give a z targeting to right like Zelda had some great moments this week. Really great moments. I don't want to. I don't want to blow the Zelda situation this early in the season because you only get one of them. Yeah. Um, uh, Chancellor Cole. You know, you could make a case for for him. Um, I think even Alfonso. Right. Like like I said, shades of really fun stuff happening with Alfonso. I think Alfonso is probably a pretty safe pick. I'm not sure we're going to get too terribly much more out of him, honestly. Well, I'm not. I'm not going with Alfonso. I'm I'm banking on getting cooler moments with Alfonso later in the game. Um, I'm going to go with Nico. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Good call. Uh, Nico, who I, I just I love the intentional choice to have at least one character who has been present for all three of these adult timeline games. 
right? Yep. Um, and to start the game with him in a similar way as happened in Phantom Hourglass. Um, I just think that was a good choice. Nico's a fun character. Um, you know, Leo pointing at the TV meme, you know, it it was that kind of moment and I appreciated it. Like that's what it was supposed to be. That was the intention. Uh, it worked really well. Yeah, it worked well and I, I appreciated it very much. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and get into part six, which is our final thoughts, where we let Matt wrap up the section of the game in as succinct a way as he can think to do. Uh, so we start out our next adventure in the DS era of games by uh, getting on the tracks of Spirit Tracks. Uh, we explore a little bit of New Hyrule. We meet the princess. We meet the main bad guy. Uh, we meet our companion character in the spirit of Princess Zelda. Uh, we explore the Tower of Spirits, kind of get some good backstory and background to the game. Um, and then we move along to uh, the Forest Temple, which caps off this section of game for us in a really underwhelming, uh, not good experience for a dungeon, uh, first dungeon or otherwise, topping it off with a truly bad item and some introduction to mechanics that we're not super looking forward to engaging with. But all that being said, um, we are looking forward to in some ways to our time with spirit tracks and seeing where uh, this story takes us uh, in this land of new Hyrule. Yeah. You know, there are glimmers of hope here. Absolutely. I I think is the thing. It's not all bad. Um, There, there are things that really truly did endear me to this game. I I totally agree. The characterization, characterization of Zelda primary among them. Very good. The story seems unique and interesting. Um, The world, I'm kind of interested to explore it. Uh, like, look, overall, I think there are some things that can really push this game uh, to much better places than Phantom Hourglass, for sure. So uh, I, I'm honestly not, like, dreading playing it anymore. Like, yeah, I'm here for it. Let's let's just do it. You say much better places, but the next title in the ranking above Phantom Hourglass is the actual Legend of Zelda. So it's like, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I don't know if it's going to get there, but w- look... <laughs> It could go above Phantom Hourglass is all I'm saying. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? It could go above The Legend of Zelda. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> let's keep our expectations <laughs> low on that there's one. There's time. Yeah, let's yeah. keep our expectations <laughs> low there. <laughs> oh, man. Fun episode this week, Matt. You know what? It was a good one. There's a rule. There's a rule that people uh, that people subscribe to on our discord, which is that. Uh, bad Zelda games make for good seasons of pod, right? <laughs> Which has held true so far. It has, yes, to to a game it has held true. Um, and I think this is going to be a really fun one to talk about, right? I so, agree. Um, anyway, uh, but uh, regardless, always fun, always fun doing this first epi- episode of the season with you, Matt. Just us two, um, kind of getting into a new game for the first time. Uh, and yeah, I, I like. I always enjoy that dynamic, and that's not to say that I don't love talking to our wonderful uh, roster of guests that come on uh, at you know later points in the season. But uh, this is always a fun reset period for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we look, we talked to m- almost all of our episodes at this point are our guest episodes for the most part. So it's it's fun to every once in a while just get a you and me and uh, kind of get back to basics, you know? 
You know what I'm excited for, Matt? What are you excited for? Tomorrow is, uh, tomorrow they're going to be airing the Legend of Zelda live orchestra performance. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're definitely going to have to tune into that. Yeah, I think it's happening pretty early in the morning, but also I got to believe that's going to be up on YouTube or something. So watch at your leisure, right? Yeah. Um, I'm excited for that. That's going to be a fun, fun way to kickstart my morning tomorrow. One thing we always love about Zelda games is music, except for Phantom Hourglass. Yeah, I was going to say mostly always. (laughs) It's the exception that proves the rule, Lyndon. All right, y'all, if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Spirit Tracks Chapter 2. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Spirit Tracks can be played in only two places. If you have a Nintendo DS or 3DS, you can play it on an original cartridge. Or uh, if you were lucky enough to get this on the uh, Wii U Virtual Console while that service was still online, then you can play it there. Uh, but I think most people say it's it's a better experience on the DS and 3DS. But in the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss. We'll catch y'all next week. Sacred Realms is an independent, listener-supported podcast, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Business operations are handled by Matt Willoughby. Our music is generously provided by Darknuck and is available to listen to on Spotify. Finally, we'd like to thank Nintendo for continuing to create such exceptional and innovative experiences.